today's live stream from tylerbloyer.com, The Rule of Crowdocracy. And we're obviously going to have to go into what is crowdocracy. And I appreciate you for joining me today. It's uh, Sunday, November 13th, 2019. Uh, sorry, October 13th, November 9th. <laughs> That's what happens when you try to do too much at once, like my brain is trying to funnel all this information into me actually now performing the live stream and producing it, and that's fine. It just takes some getting used to, uh, not a big deal. Um, but I did very, you know, spend some time on the title of this episode, which the rule of crowdocracy. It's not by crowdocracy, which I could have just as easily done, but I, I did specifically say of because... Um, ultimately, you know, in in one way we are, not ultimately, but in one way we are ruled by the crowd. And, and in many ways this is a dynamic, a manipulation going on from a top-down authoritarian structure. But that crowd also manifests that structure. Um, but then also that in a crowd there's a rule. And the rule of crowdocracy is what we'll be going in here today. Uh, into the show, we're going to be going into the, why it's a rule, why in a crowd there's certain rules that occur in crowds, and it's the same old herd and the same old rules that apply up into the modern day with the modern crowds and the modern revolutionary movements. The same crowd rules, sort of kind of like this 80-20 Pareto's principle, except for like the opposite of that. Or, you know, maybe some, maybe you, maybe we could weave that in a little bit. I didn't really consider that until just now. Um, but when doing a show like this, one thing that I wanted to also go into is I think people are used to the five minute Facebook sound clips and they're used to the, you know, getting, getting even shorter, the, the 150 byte character limit on Twitter or whatever. Um, but long form content such as what I don't even really consider this to be long form content just because of the the forms of content that I take in um, sometimes it's eight hour sessions of one straight audiobook um, 20 hour podcasts um, podcasts that are twice the length of mine and the, the shows that I've been producing here um, so for me this is not necessarily you know two to three hours maybe a little, a little bit more than that sometimes is not necessarily a longer form content production but I think to the average person out there it is but there's something about that and taking in there's something about getting out of the crowdocracy getting out of groupthink getting out of the secondary matrix uh, getting out of the movement traps that is related to long form content and um, long form content enables you to sort of get out of the group think by not you are taking in other people's thoughts and opinions and things like that but having to dedicate long periods of time helps you monitor kind of the self-talk and it's how you spend your time and obviously you know the information that you're taking in i think should ultimately you know end up being resulting in some form of output some form of production output that you can do that ends up helping other people potentially and also helps helps you to you know, dig into the information further, remove contradictions further, and spending time with material, your own material, other people's material, in long periods of time 
helps you sort of tune out a lot of the noise, a lot of the propaganda, a lot of the just overwhelming deluge of a torrential downpour of uh, bullshit out there in the world. But then there's also, you know, the, the other side of that is that there's a, a, there's a lot of good information out there that does need to be gone through and should be gone through for your own personal growth and development or developing that business or that service that you're trying to provide. And so, so everybody's always looking for the quick and easy button. And with taking in information, with truly going through, you know, some of the great books or some of the great authors out there, it's, there's no easy button and it takes a long amount of time, but there's a reason for that. I mean, I'm not saying like the reason for that is that you'll become more aware and awake and out of group thing, but that's a result of that, a result of you spending time uh, and attention and paying attention. And I've been thinking about all this as a kind of like how it relates to currency, obviously, and going back to, you know, spending time. We, we relate these things to money. We relate uh, our time with money and time is definitely the most valuable asset and commodity or however commodity asset something that you can't get back though once it's spent so once we're kind of going through life we don't get to to get our time back that therefore it's probably our most valuable asset that in health and how we spend our time and how we pay attention um, these are the real currencies these are the real ways of becoming awake and aware and and practicing consciousness and expanding consciousness consciousness are your ability to focus on things beyond just the five minute, one minute clip of something that comes along your way. And then, you know, that that's where the crowdocracy is. That's the, the crowdocracy. The group is in the fishbowl. They're the goldfish in the fishbowl mentality with like less than three seconds attention span. And um, the reason why we're going into this today, because it falls, it goes right in line with falling into the movement traps. So in any movement, it doesn't matter how woke the movement is, whether it's libertarianism, anarchism, voluntarism, um, and these are all kind of like political movements. Now, I know there's movements beyond that, New Age, Love and Light, you know, the veganism, uh, the greening of everything movement, all these movements. It doesn't matter. The point is, is it doesn't matter what movement that it is. It has the problem of the groupthink, of crowdocracy, and we're going to be going into that today. Like, why is it a problem? And how when, you know, two or three or four people get together, definitely, you know, into the hundreds, thousands and millions of people levels, um, there's these systematic issues that come up. There's these definite rules that are at play in group dynamics like that. And it's, you know, one of the main things that you can easily see uh, is the lack of critical thinking. So accepting information, accepting statements uh, without questioning them critically and then shunning those that do question them in the group or um, someone who's perceived to be whoa see I got a new microphone arm here so I just nailed it with my hand <laughs> that probably came through pretty loud so I'll have to get used to that but you know trying to make little minor improvements as things go so hopefully the audio quality got an improvement and uh, of course there's always going to be those little mistakes that happen live on the show but uh, again there's always going to be the the group's inability to critically question things. It's because people, it's this sort of nonviolent communication cult of we all like to be heard and we all like to be liked. 
and we all like to give that or we're working on giving that to other people and our empathetic response in a group i mean i'm not saying that like all that that i just said is bad or that non-violent communication is inherently bad but it doesn't further the uh discovery of factual information or it doesn't help you weed out things that may be incorrect in the group or in the cult or in the the overall edicts that are being espoused. So that's that's the issue, is that just purely operating from a nonviolent communication standpoint, it's not that that's a bad thing to do, and it's not that you don't want to be empathetic and understanding and listen to those around you and then use your communication ability to try to find their needs and fulfill them if possible. That's not a bad thing. That's a tool set that can be used in communication, in sales, and in marketing yourself but or helping others solve their problems and maybe that's what you do for monetary uh, income or maybe that's just how you are as a person so you want to practice that's not what I'm saying in a group when everybody's wanting to be liked and wanting to be heard people will not want to ruffle feathers people will not want to step outside of the parameters of already what's kind of been described as the boxes of this particular movement cause or group and so again, this is a problem without throughout all groups. So the issue isn't well if they're correct and and everybody in that group is that operating on correct, uh, you know, reality aligning principles that actually are philosophically sound and end up, you know, when acted out in the world, bring about the positive change that that group is trying to seek. That's not the issue either. The issue is is when the group might be incorrect. And so if you have like a a philosophy of pragmatism and kind of the happiness principle and positive rights, John Locke and natural rights philosophy that started America, and then certain documents and constitutions and whole uh, democratic republic type government were instilled surrounding this natural rights philosophy, but it ends up being inherently flawed. Uh, and then the group doesn't question that because of this group mind thing. You know, you can go for a long time. Um, but sooner or later, it's going to cut you down, right? <laughs> like, like Johnny Cash said, like you can go for a long time on your wrong assumptions and principles and you might get really far. But sooner or later, like the chickens come home to roost and the, the laws of nature don't allow artificiality that ends up corrupting nature beyond, you know, to the point where there's no consequence for that. There's always going to be consequences. So the idea is to be able to see this dynamic occurring in the groups that you might be in or to see this dynamic occurring in your own mind with family or friends and not necessarily I'm not saying that somebody should do this or shouldn't do that this episode is more just exploring um, the psychology of crowds of groups of the herd right they call it the herd even and going into different people again that uh, authors of their works that I've read a few that I've yeah of course cherry-picked to add to the to the uh, overall picture that we're trying to get across here in this episode um, but you know these authors that kind of frequently come up on the show I've gone through their works I've definitely uh, dove deep into them I can even you know share some of this stuff I obviously their works are available now online if you know how to use things like torrents and stuff like that if we're talking about like Eric Fromm I would recommend going and getting all Eric's Fromm's, Eric Fromm's books and his audiobooks and I've been going through I've gone through a lot of his material but when creating this episode I listened to three or four more audiobooks while creating slides and memes 
This one I haven't found on audio yet, um, The Anatomy of Human Destructiveness, and I don't have any quotes either in the slideshow from this book, but I mean, it definitely plays right in. Escape from Freedom would be another one um, from Fromm. Um, right, more of a a, a look at why, um, kind of going back to my the struggle for freedom episode and that it's really, you know, man doesn't really want to be free. And that's, you know, escape from freedom and Fromm goes in and there's multiple definitions of freedom and how Fromm is going to define what that is. Um, we're getting pretty deep here. Let me just pop in my... Okay, cool. I just needed to check that, like, everything looks good from this angle, but on my, on my monitor laptop that monitors the show, it's good to just check and make sure the audio is coming through okay, and, and it sounds fine, so. Um, so, yeah, so, from, um, and then the others, like Rand, um, and obviously Gustav Le Bon. We're going to put the crowd show notes. This book, I've been going through two, um, Battle for the Mind. A psychological and of a uh, uh, psychological and conversation and brainwashing. That's a psychological of conversation and brainwashing. That's kind of a weird subtitle. <laughs> and I'm not enough through it to give like a really good opinion, but it does tie in to what we've been talking about on falling into the movement traps. Um, from more of the brainwashing perspective, of course. Uh, there's this book too, which is definitely worth reading. And when we're talking about this realm, it's the classic Edward Bernays propaganda from that evil bastard, Edward Bernays. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, I think he knew a lot about psychology, obviously. Sigmund Freud's nephew. And you can read this stuff and think that they're just straight up evil. Like when you read a lot of the stuff and tell like some of these quotes, but really like it's kind of just what pragmatic philosophy brings about like when you have a pragmatic worldview and you're kind of like pragmatically morally sub, uh, relative everything's relative kind of depending on the outcome and it's it's all re there's not really an objective morality like as long as you know we're not harming all the people but only like four percent of the people get harmed then that's a positive result right that's like pragmatism like no that's not a positive result if people are being harmed in your result that's bad that's negative but pragmatism kind of in like especially like scientific studies where they're testing a product only a certain handful of people have these symptoms like in in pharmacological or well you know medicine this is okay like that's that's an, that's pragmatism when they know that people are going to be hurt and they move forward with it anyways because it's a small amount of people that's like moral relativism relativism basically um so before we jump on into this <laughs> fourth time I've hit the microphone I think I'm gonna have to to either just get used to that or figure something else out here um, before we get into the slide deck today what we want to go over if ever there's corrections this is a minor correction but if there are things that are emailed in or you hear me say something that needs you know to be adjusted I'm willing to look at my own words and thoughts and ideas and question them and challenge them and change them if need be and so this is a minor correction I'm about to go over, but I will go over major corrections. In fact, this whole series, Falling Into the Movement Traps, is a correction from ever actually espousing any type of voluntarism and anything like that. 
So that's all this is. This big giant series is a big correction just to make sure that I'm firmly um, detaching myself. And, you know, I was like, you can go back and look at interviews of me with people like Danilo Cuellar, Cuellar however you say his last name, from PeacefulAnarchism.com. And, you know, one of his questions is like, how did you become an anarchist? And um, I went into a five minute thing that was like four years ago three or four years ago on why I don't wear labels and I'm not an anarchist and I don't like so this is not new that I'm trying to detach myself from the labels but I you know I had certain characters on that I interviewed and they were espousing certain philosophies I have published articles on websites that had voluntarism in the name and I'm not like really mad and angry at those people and like trying to throw rocks at them from my high up place that I reached here like that's not what this is about this is a integrity thing. This is me correcting and moving forward through the information. So again, corrections will be kind of a part of the pre-show um, if there's corrections that need to be made. And what it was is last week I uh, was, or not, two weeks ago doing the secondary matrix we were talking about Occupy Wall Street. And I said something like, you know, the, the Occupy Wall Street people didn't even stop the 2008-2009 collapse. And I knew that it was after. It's just sometimes when you're live and you're just kind of going, you know, you're in the mode of like checking things and looking at different all these different statistics and things and things just kind of come out the way they come out. But that's the whole point of coming back and saying, you know, obviously Occupy Wall Street happened in 2011 and uh, the banking financial crisis happened before that. So Occupy Wall Street was a response to right so timeline of events not a big deal I'm gonna make mistakes I'm gonna make f more mistakes guaranteed and so it's kind of like a Easter egg hunt like if you catch me make a mistake email me and there'll be like some kind of prize or I'll bring your name up on the show or we can have a discussion about it on discord or um, oh and so by the way tylerbloyer.com slash live you can watch the live show and uh, then there's the Discord server that you can also reach from the live show. Um, not a ton of activity, still really just kind of getting that built out, but it gives us the ability to have people come and have a question on the show if they want want to do that. So they can actually use their voice. It's not video, it's just voice. It's a little bit of a hurdle to get through Discord if you're not used to that, but ultimately like it's becoming a lot more popular tool. It's a tool that gamers developed for gaming and they chat while they're gaming and it's really expanded way beyond that now it's all in all sorts of realms including the live streaming uh online courses there's one big area that i'm using it like i attended brett vinod's um ideas into action summit on friday i, I didn't attend saturday and sunday um honestly like i would have not been able to honestly pay enough attention to that to to, to attend that Saturday and Sunday <laughs> but Friday I did and it was really good and like Brett is on discord and he has a larger you know audience and so there's people trickling in and out and it just creates this whole other interactive experience so that's why I just got you know I'm starting live streaming podcasting slash whatever you want to call this again putting information out that I, I want to put out I have a ton of information that I want to start trickling out in the way that I'm doing it. Um, 
because it's very sustainable, feasible for me to do this. I feel like it's a good format. I, I enjoyed preparing for these shows. And then it makes me execute it at a time instead of, well, I want to add this other piece and I need to read these three other books before I can present. Like I would have liked to read four or five other books um, that I've either read before or re-go over them or introduce new stuff in to, to be able to add to this material. But at the same time, like there's time constraints. I can't have all the grammar in the whole world together before I put a show together. And then I have to be able to trust myself that I, I'm the really the show's coming. The slides are just for me to talk over and help direct the show. The interesting information should be presented on the fly by myself as we're going through the show. Right. And that's kind of the beauty of it. Like if someone wants to dedicate time to spending the time to go through this and and gain the insight that I'm providing, they can do that. And I'm happy to have them come and do that. Otherwise, like they don't have to. And I, the, the reason why I'm live is for the simplicity of publishing. I don't have to spend any time after I um, step away from this to publish this show. Now, there's all kinds of other little activities that go on, right? Getting it on the website, making it look clean, adding the resources, putting in the brand links, putting it on the social medias, making a small clip to try to promote the material. Because if you don't do all that, like your, your material is not going to ever get out there. And I'm not trying to like be in people's face on Facebook. Look at me like I'm waiting for the secondary sites to catch up so that like I can just go on BitChute and live and understand there's like Twitch and other things like that. But I mean, I, I kind of want to say like, here I am on Facebook, YouTube, and then be off on my other platforms eventually and not be on Facebook. Like I'm trying to reduce the amount of time I spend on Facebook as much as I can. <laughs> right. So uh, part of the also taking in long form content is that you'll find that spending time on Facebook when you're trying to listen to an eight hour audiobook and get through that and focus on that. Like it doesn't even at some point, it doesn't even make sense for me to go and spend time on Facebook and or Twitter or whatever, like and even discord itself. Some, some of these bigger discord servers are like a total waste of time. And so, you know, if, if we're properly paying attention to someone who's provided some longer form content, like we don't have time to go and screw around on Facebook because we've got John Taylor Gatto in our ear. We've got you know, uh, Nathaniel Brandon's six pillars of self-esteem playing in on in in our headphones. So why would we want to go and jump on unless we're going to share what we're listening to? <laughs> so I personally, you know, like it's maybe it's just like replacing one form of media for another. But I feel like the longer form content for me has added all this additional layers of understanding and intellectualizing these things and to be able to kind of break out of the rat maze like get off of the hamster wheel, put that stuff away. Like a lot of the time now, I don't even want my phone near me. Like it just, if I need it to look and see if things are happening, that's fine. But then I don't want it by me. I don't want it near me. I've got better things to do. I've got a book to read. I've got slides to make for the podcast. Beyond that, I have a family that needs my attention. You know, that's primary for me. And so a lot of this stuff is extracurricular stuff that I do outside of so many other things that need to be done. I'm not bragging. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying that um, reducing the amount of bullshit in your life is is definitely should be a priority for everybody. And it's a fun project, you know, to try to just eliminate things that shouldn't be there anymore. Um, anyway, let's not get off on too big of a tangent here and get in. Now that we've had our correction, we've had our 
you know, a little bit of going over things, let people trickle in that can trickle in. And uh, again, here's the Discord server. You can go in. I'm there. You can listen to the audio. So that's another thing that we should bring up is that uh, the audio from the Discord server is streamed into there. I got this mixer that I'm learning here, the software mixer. This mixer is probably going to make make it into some form of content that, that I provide sometime in the near future because it's free and it's really cool like to be able to use a software mixer. Eventually I'm going to have a nice hardware mixer here on my desk and I won't need this or I might use, still use both. But I can stream the audio really easily into Discord, and then when you come on, it'll stream into the show, and it's newer. I wasn't using this before, so, you know, something could fall apart. <laughs> it's There's a lot to all that. But anyway, so again, you can hop in there, and you can actually hear the audio. So that what that helps you do is, like, if YouTube kind of consumes a lot of CPU on your phone or Facebook, you don't want to be on there, like I was just saying, well, the audio streamed into there, it's a really low bandwidth way to kind of jump on the audio and then go about doing what you're doing and you can listen to what's happening live in the audio. And then you could even ask a question. So uh, I've been doing that with certain things. I, in some, in a course that I'm currently taking, I, sh I do that sometimes for the people in the Discord. I'll stream it in there for them because they can't join the Zoom call or whatever that we're on, right? So again, today, the rule of crowdocracy. I'm happy to have everybody here with me. And uh, if you're watching this now or in the future, Thank you for your time and attention and paying attention <laughs> and not dropping out, right? Caring about what's happening uh, in the world and crowds and groups and things like that and the psychological dynamics of crowds are definitely a big aspect of falling into the movement trap. So today we're not going to hyper-focus on like what we've kind of been doing, like the, the political revolutionary movements or voluntarism, libertarianism, anarchism, and we're not, today we're talking much more broad brush. Today we're talking about any movement. It doesn't matter. All movements, all groups, all crowds have this problem, uh, these problems that we're going to be going into today. And uh, they end up becoming processes that get kind of out of control. And that's why it's the rule of crowd, crowdocracy, is in, you know, thugocracy, like we're ruled by the mob, right? Democracy is ruled by the majority, right? And But that's all fake bullshit. I mean, honestly, like, it's just a cage and play set up with puppets that the real power plays way outside of democracy. But So there's multiple levels to things. But the crowdocracy is what rules, like, social situations and does influence. Th this crowd mind is influenced by <laughs> the top-down whatever you want to call it, the death cult, Luciferian, you know, occultocracy of uh, whatever Masonic bullshit, you know, that is something that affects the crowd mind, you know, and that uh, is not something we're going to go too much into today. We're just going into more of the interplay of people when they get together in large groups and the lack of critical thinking that goes on. But there's all these different levels and democracy is fake but real because it you know people believe it's real in the crowd right so that makes it real and people act on their beliefs and they they get together in these groups of democracy the left right political paradigms or even the more the third movement the libertarian party or the green party or whatever it is right and 
they definitely are manipulated and controlled and they act on these beliefs too. So there's a lot of levels, right? And we're going to have to try to distill it down to something that we can kind of grasp here. So the slide for today, um, William Blake, we had him in the last episode talking about the fist that crushes the tyrant's head, right? Becomes the tyrant in its stead. So central theme still for crowdocracy, obviously. And then, of course, the NPCs, <laughs> the Fabian wolf in sheep's clothing. You know, there's some sheeple jokes we could make there, but ultimately, like, democracy is coming out of, like, the Fabian society, um, Fabian socialism. Um, the modern forms of democracy are influenced and basically molded through the Fabian society, through uh, the Labour Party in Great Britain, uh, and, you know, has made its way across the globe, obviously, uh, democracy, we're blowing your country up, coming to a country new, near you, we're going to instill democracy, where we'll slaughter millions of people and make sure you accept our banking system. Anyway, so we'll start out here with a quote from Alexander Fraser Teitler. Yes, that is how you spell his name. It's not a typo. A democracy cannot exist as a permanent form of government. It can only exist until the voters discover that they can vote themselves a largesse from the public treasury. From that moment on, the majority always votes for the candidates promising the most benefits from the public treasury, with the result that a democracy always collapses over loose fiscal policy, always followed by a dictatorship. The average ages of the world's greatest civilization has been 200 years. These nations have progressed through this sequence. From bondage to spiritual faith, from spiritual faith to great courage, from courage to liberty, from liberty to abundance, from abundance to selfishness, from selfishness to apathy, and from apathy to dependence, and from dependence back into bondage. So what he's describing obviously there is the the revolutionary movements right and you could say that America is somewhere in the latter part of this from abundance to selfishness from selfishness to apathy probably we're very near there and then the apathy to dependence right this is where we're cradling in and of course we're already in bondage um, because this cycle is not like you're in just one level at a time like we went from great courage and great opportunity for liberty and, and and a lot of people did seize that and when I say we I'm talking like humanity I'm not saying like Americans we America I'm not just I'm not identifying with a nation I'm just saying we us humanity uh, you know I think what he's observing here is correct we go through these cycles and but we need to make sure that they're evolutionary right if we're if we're doing this revolutionary thing um, it's either we need to like step off of that uh, cart or step off of that wagon, right? Or get off of the, the carousel and step outside of, because I think that this applies to groups. I think that these, you know, when he says these nations and democracies, well, that's obviously a group of people, a lar very large group. It's a style of government, a democratic government where 
apparently you get to vote for the things that happen, even though that's not at all how it works. And we're not represented in that way. And Congress doesn't represent the people that people think that it does. And again, we, we don't want to go off in too many tangents of how much bullshit democracy is. But it is, and it's totally not the way that people think the way that it works. It's not, and also it's not how America was originally set up to operate. Like it wasn't set up to be a democracy. It was set up to be a, a constitutional republic. And democracy crept in with the Fabians, with the Fabian socialists, who transformed it into democracy. Now the average person out there thinks they're living in a democracy, and thinks that that's a good thing. So there's, again, levels of stupidity and ridiculousness in all of this. Um, um, but one of the reasons for that is what we see um, Ayn Rand say here, which is the hardest thing to explain is the glaringly evident which everybody has decided not to see. So in the group, you know, she's referring to here everybody else that decides not to see a certain thing and how fallacious it is or how, how much outside of logic that it is, how many contradictions there are, how, how no matter how uh, refutable that it is, it's, you know, and the outsider trying to explain that to these people, they won't see it because they're in the herd, right? They're in the group which has the problems of the group where everybody wants to feel like they're heard and listened to and correct about what the group thinks and it ends up becoming like a, a religious cult and you know the big giant pink elephant in the room you try to point it out and everybody's like no no no, sweep that back under the rug we don't want to heat hear that and see that you know and this this is really been seen lately by myself online <laughs> with people in different groups um that have like a label an ism and they are like so cultish but then they also can't see it like it's if, if you question any of the presuppositions none of the information that you bring to them is ever actually addressed and they just ad hominem gaslight you know um all kinds of fallacious attacks basically against the person who's like well wait i've just pointed out that this is not logical that this here in your worldview doesn't make sense that this is obviously coming from some form of issue psychologically still occurring inside of you and they're like all the people in the cult are like oh my god he's counterintelligence like this guy's obviously paid by the cia and like immediately jump to like all these attacks against the person Nobody addresses any of the arguments being made about how fallacious like voluntarism is or like, you know, anarchism or political libertarianism and all these things. None of the arguments are ever addressed. And I'm not saying like you always have to address somebody's argument, but you should if you especially if you're going to attack them, like you need to dismantle their argument and then you can do your attack. But just be like, well, he's not in the cult, obviously, because he's not saying all the cult edicts. And so obviously he's not part of our group. Like, well, yeah, I think that's pretty clear. And that's not what they're trying to do. They're not trying to be in your group. They're trying to point out major fundamental contradictions within your own reasoning and logic and how you look at things and how your, how your mind is structured with the base pyramid of it being all corrupt and wrong, you know? And so maybe you should just take that in if you're going to take it in and really think about it. You know, before you just go typing away about how, how much of a bad person that person is. Like, 
it takes a long time to sometimes it fully break down how you were wrong, how you were incorrect, how did you come to those conclusions? Okay, I did, it was this, and this person influenced my life, and then I had this worldview built on like this kind of like John Locke and natural positive rights philosophy, and that all gave me this idea that, you know, property and blah, 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 and then it gets, so you have to go back and dig into, and then it, that takes a, a level of like ego death and a le level of humbleness to be able to dive into that part. Uh, you know, something that you've been maybe really adamant about and pick it apart and then admit where you were wrong and then try to fix that by, you know, replacing it with something that makes more sense. That That's a process that takes a lot of time. And, uh, you know, but what Rand is pointing out is that people don't even begin that process. They immediately are going to reject it, even if it's very clear and obvious because it's the crowd, because the group allows them to do that. The group gives them the comfort of no it's going to be fine you know that person is just attacking us look how evil look how bad he's being attacking us our poor group and come back in and we will be all fine here in the group everything's going to be just fine so the the group definitely enables this too because they're comforting you back into the illogical fallacies that you're operating under right so we better define groupthink then because that's what originally i was going to name this episode something like I was had all these different brainstorming ideas group think you know group group you know I, I had like a whole list of ideas and ended up being the rule of crowdocracy because I figured I'd coin a phrase as well as try to get you know my podcast out there with something that is not popular to talk about why don't I just throw in a word that nobody understands too <laughs> copywriting 101 baby <laughs> it's like antithetical to copywriting um, you know, we need to define the word groupthink. So in my own words, it's the practice of thinking or making decisions as a group in a way that discourages creativity or individual responsibility. So of course, there's the NPC meme, right? And But again, keeping in mind that we're not just talking about some group that you don't like. We're not just talking about the, you know, the political left-right libertarians or uh, political left-right Democrat and Republic, we're not just, oh, we're throwing rocks at the status, man. Like, no, all groups, all of the, any ism hyphenated thing that has an ism at the end or an ist at the end, any, any of the hyphenated movements anywhere on the globe, on the planet, and any time in history have this problem. So specifically, you know, I could say the anarcho whatever people, anarchopoco, anarchadelphia, anarchazona, whatever it is all have this problem and they're blind if they don't see that and it, it, online it's like tenfold like way worse because people have all these layers of like filtering their real person through all this like bullshit artificial means of how they get what they're saying out there online um you know the real like this is like npc land 101 it's like the the idiots that are they're arguing on facebook right <laughs> arguing about this stuff on Facebook rather than just stepping out of that and being above it, you know, like getting outside of that group mind and coming and argue, you know, you can argue with yourself. <laughs> That's what you should be doing because you're probably wrong. So maybe you should be doing it way further down deep internally first before you're like discovering how you were wrong, arguing with some fucking person that you're never going to even meet on Facebook. You know what I mean? 
It's ridiculous. Um, but there's better. Let's get in here. Now I was having browser issues earlier, which has been like an ongoing thing. So I'm going to have to kill this browser after a minute because it's like, anyway, I'm not going to go into that. But let's define groupthink a little bit better. Uh, now in the brain model, there's a section on groupthink. Let's pull that up if we can get to it here. I can hear my CPU whining already. And which normally my computer handles this stuff just fine. Like I said, these browsers like Epic, Brave, they've just been going out of control. So Dr. Irving Yanis, Janis, I always have a problem with Yanis, Janis, Yanis, pioneered the initial research on groupthink theory. He does not cite white, but coined the term by analogy with doublethink and similar terms that were part of the Newspeak vocabulary in the novel 1984 by George Orwell. He initially defined groupthink as follows. Here, we'll pull this up on a little bit larger page, and then we'll go full screen like that. How's that? Uh, I use, and this is a quote here. I use the term groupthink as a quick and easy way to refer to the mode of thinking that persons engage in when concurrence seeking becomes so dominant in a cohesive in-group that it tends to override realistic appraisal of alternative courses of action. Groupthink is a term of the same order as the words in the Newspeak vocabulary George Orwell used in, dismaying, in his Dismaying World of 1984. In that context, groupthink takes on an individ individuous connotation. Exactly such a connotation is intended, since the term refers to a deterioration of mental efficiency, relating reality testing and moral judgments as a result of group pressures. He went on to write, The main principle of groupthink which I offer in a spirit of Parkinson's law is this. The more amiable and a spirit de corpse there is among the members of policymaking in-group, of a policymaking in-group, the greater the danger that independent critical thinking will be replaced by groupthink, which is likely to result in irrational and dehumanizing actions directed against outgroups. So, I mean, I kind of, I didn't even really read this recently, but I had it in my notes and I thought, oh, that'd be good to read on the show. But it kind of like really did a good job at distilling what I've kind of already been talking about here this concurrence seeking. I thought that was a very interesting phrase, right? Concurrence seeking, this, this consensus reality that the scientists are trying to give us with the, like the climate science, like it's, it's settled science, it's consensus. Like that's so anti-scientific to call something settled science, A. And then there's no such thing as consensus science. Like that's a logical fallacy, the appeal to consensus doesn't equal truth. It just means there's a lot of people that could be mistaken in the same direction. Hence the groupthink thing, right? So just because they're saying it's settled climate science, that's just a cult of uh, whatever. I mean, it could be any number of things, agendas, people that are just accepting the consensus because of groupthink, or people with like true uh, maniacal intentions trying to manipulate humanity in a certain direction by using climate. 
and calling it consensus and settled science. Well, that's a that's how you know right there. You're dealing with a fallacious argument because there's no such thing as consensus science. That's a logical fallacy. So they have to have a better reason for why we need to accept all these things that haven't come true and that aren't happening and that things that can't be proven with other scientific models or actual research and data. But because there's this large cult of group people out there calling it cl climate meltdown and we're having a climate problem, like it must be true, right? Well, that's not scientific. That's anti-scientific and that's exactly what he's saying here that you know obviously the climate groups will will absolutely hate me for what i'm saying and be infuriated that i that i hate the polar bears or something and they'll then try to dehumanize me that's what i was saying they'll come in with the ad, ad hominem attacks right and uh kick you out of the group which is fine with me like for me <laughs> it's like go ahead and block me and mute me and kick me off of this stupid artificial online you know terrarium of mind that you've created this in Kiklyospidea, a closed circle of snake eating its own tail area where you're like the arbiters of truth and you you have like all the grammar apparently in the world already so like how could someone from the outside come in and actually have an argument against your bullshit <laughs> right it's like go ahead and kick me out of that group i don't want to be in that group anyways and so if, if having a conversation about the non-aggression principle or something and questioning it as a, actually being a principle in nature, if that's not okay, you can't defend your arguments that you have and you just say, well, no, I, you have to accept it because everybody else that I accepts it. It's the non-aggression principle. And that's your best argument. Like then you're not able to conversate about something that you keep saying. You're not able to explain it. Why? Why it's a thing. Where is it a principle in nature? Where is it self-evidently true? If it's not even self-evidently true, it's starting to really not look like a principle. I don't look out in nature and see that nature and the universe set, is set up to not aggress. Okay? The it, creation is all, all, it also, it almost requires destruction. Like I think, from my observations, it does. Creation requires some level of destruction, right? And that's as above, so below. When you want to, you want to make your bicep pump. You want to make your your abs look better. You're trying to, you're trying to get your pecs, your your shoulders beefed up a little bit. You have to tear them down. You have to break them. You have to put them under stress and just rip and destroy the muscles and tear them so that new things can come in and be rebuilt, right? And is that aggression? Like that's that's the issue. Like defining aggression. There's things that don't make sense already with calling it a principle. So it's a self-refuting argument. It needs to be, if what you're trying to get across as a more moral spiritual law has to be revitalized and your rhetoric needs to be updated. And I'm not going to go on a tangent here worse than I already have regarding the non-aggression principle, but, um, you know, that'll be an upcoming show. It's not going to be in the movement traps. It's on my, it's on my list and we'll get to it. Um, but that's, that's part of the group thing thing though. Every libertarian out there is like so set on this John Lockean positive rights, property rights thing that the non-aggression principle makes sense in that framework. But outside of that framework where people start to apply it to like anarcho-capitalism or voluntarism and, and veganism and 
they're just it's the fallacy of the stolen concept they're taking concepts from some other philosophical framework and applying it to theirs leaving out all the things in between that need to be there to make that worldview make sense which doesn't make sense that's the whole issue with the positive natural rights philosophy you know and john lockean philosophy and there's an issue there that needs to be addressed even all this constitutional uh, people the constitutionalists or the more extreme um like militias out there are all still kind of operating on this uh, philosophy but anyway again it's going off on a tangent let's not go there <laughs> back to the non-aggression principle at some point in the future i swear we'll get we'll get there and how it's not a principle it's it's not a, it's not it's a it can be a subjective principle for you to operate on like do unto others as you would have them do unto you it i'm not again i'm not pro-aggression by what I'm saying. I'm just pointing that out is that this argument, I've had it with people in the cults of the movements. And if they think that the non-aggression principle is like one of the golden rules that like their whole thing operates on, it's an objective truth in reality. Like there's no talking to that person, trust me. They're not gonna hear anything because they're obsessed about applying it in the way that they're trying to morph it and apply it. And not understanding what principle means. It means it's it's like the first thing. It's a building block. It's an axiom. It's a fundamental logical axiom that can be built upon. Well, then it's self-evident. And if it's self-evident, it means you can observe it yourself without having to have all these methods of... And it can't even be self-evidently verified. There's nothing in nature that's not aggressive. There are in, in certain species. And I'm not saying we're like animals, you know. But again, this, I'm, and so I, I would need to spend more time with that. That's why I should break away from this. <laughs> so groupthink, dumb, blind, that's the issue, is that when you're in the cult, you're not willing to question basic things even that, that, that you've not critically thought about. So you're taking in all this information as, and not critically challenging it. And then you have the group behind you chanting all the same stuff, and it just reinforces things that could be totally wrong and total BS, you know? So dumb and blind, I'm not, I'm not, calling names and not throwing rocks that's what happens in the group they become dumb and blind that's just part of the dynamic of what occurs in the crowdocracy now arthur schopenhauer says uh, we forfeit three-fourths of ourselves in order to be like other people again a very subjective statement but i think largely it is objectively true in the crowds and that people are not living in the true self. They don't have a true relationship with the self. Therefore, they don't really know thyself. They don't understand what, who and what they really are. So what they are is just a mask, a persona, an artificial you know, pr uh, example of what they would like other people to think they're like. And a lot of the time, it's just whatever the group says, whatever particular click group thing that they're involved with. That's what he's saying here is that most of our true self gets you know destroyed or removed or masked or covered or eventually just deadened inside of us to the point where we don't have a connection at all with that because of this need and want to be like other people because of the crowd dynamic and the, this sort of definitely something in our psychology that needs that from other people until we've come to understand and connect with the self and then all that outside world stuff where you're concerned about what other people think in this way or that way like of course you want to be s smart 
and, uh, and practice risk avoidance and not just put your neck up on the chopping block to be cut off. That's another issue with groups <laughs> and Meanwhile, things like that. I but in today's world, from it's, other characters it's saying, even oh, more critical, I think, to bring up our... uh, things that are incorrect in these group dynamics and point it out in a way that is very non-confrontational. I'm not trying to cause a dumpster fire. Obviously, most people aren't even going to listen to this. It's longer they, it's things that they don't agree with. It's from a guy that doesn't necessarily look like them. It's a white male, you know, mansplaining everything to everybody. So, you know, like, I don't really care what people think of the material I'm putting out, out there. I, I don't mind feedback. I'm willing to discuss my ideas. But uh, I'm not even concerned that the people in the groups that we're talking about are even going to watch this, you know. <laughs> That's my perspective. Um, okay. I keep jumping Meanwhile, into I the slide and then not letting it play. That's probably really annoying. But what we have here is a three-minute clip to let me, let me catch my breath, do a technical overview of things um, from Alan Watt. And now Alan Watt is constantly complaining that nobody references his work when they're using it. And so here I'm kind of doing a little due diligence and, you know, praise to Alan Watt. It's not Alan Watts with an S, the back like 60s and 70s psychonaut guy. It's Alan Watt who uh, lives in Canada, I believe, has kind of like an Irish, British, I don't know, background accent thing going on. Um, he's done a lot of really good work explaining group think, group dynamics, um, really good stuff about eugenics, depopulation, Fabian socialism, things like that. So we're going to have this clip, and then later on there's a longer clip from him in the kind of post-show. But this is just a short three-minute clip that lets me catch my breath and uh, opens it up for us to be able to dive further into the slideshow. Meanwhile, I also get letters from other characters saying, oh, why are you going on RBN? Why are you going on Genesis Radio? Our group is not sure about this. Our group is, I don't care about your groups, Borg. I talk to individuals, and I say my piece as an individual. Your groups are no different than all the other mayhem on this planet or the create groups or homeland security groups or anything else. You're the easiest to manipulate by the big boys who put your leaders in and you follow the Pied Piper. My message is to start thinking for yourself. Unless people get out of the groupthink mentality, they're doomed. This is a war to end the individual. It's only the individual down through the ages that's stopped or waylaid or diverted anything. Groups are loved by the elite at the top. It's much easier to control a million people in a group as long as you put in the leader who gives the rest their thoughts and their opinions just a mini version of government the war is to destroy individuality I've had people in the past say, oh, how do we save the people? The people, you must understand, are choosing, even if they don't understand all of the nitty-gritty details of what's been happening, 
they're choosing all through their lives as to where they want to be, what they accept, what they don't mind, and what they don't mind that's happening to other people. They're choosing. You can have the, the most ignorant person with regards to facts of what's happening, but still they're, they're choosing their whole lives long. That's the big group, you see, who choose all the same things. And if you even had the power as an individual to change the world, then you would be imposing your will upon them. You'd be the next tyrant and control freak. Right. Because if you, with your cult of action, your cult of non-thinking group, end up getting what you want, like uh, Yuri Bezmenov was saying, like, you'll be shocked at the result. Like, you won't understand how it became that way. But, you know, like Blake's crushing the tyrant's head, the fish, the fist becomes the, you know, tyrant in its stead. Because it's the wrong path. Because it's, again, it's this dualistic dynamic of um, the dialectic of, of statism and then anything opposed to it. Again, it requires the existence of the state to exist itself. So it's an immature standpoint at best to be falling into these movement traps, right? Um, and hopefully that's all, all it is, is a maturity issue and a, sort of a process of like, you know, in your adolescent sort of woke days, you were ideologically aligned with more of this like libertarian anarchism, voluntarism movements. Um, but then you mature beyond that and realize that those labels, those things are just like a, a, the teenager rebelling against the parents, right? Like they're, they don't exist unless the state exists itself, right? So if the state is this fictional thing that you're claiming is not real and it shouldn't exist and they're, they don't have the right to do what they're doing in nature, the, the rights that they're claiming they have don't exist. Well, if it doesn't exist, then neither does your thing that opposes it either. The, the, the dialectic of that is that it's a false dialectic then. And this is something that won't be seen by the people in, in the groups, in the movements. They're not going to see the arguments that are being made here. I've already seen it, like, in the chat. They get mad. They get, they're get they they're pissed at me for calling the non-aggression is not a principle. And, uh, you know, not... I, I guarantee, like, anyone who's doing that is not going to follow up with me, actually. Like, go Tyler Bloyer, Calendly slash Tyler Bloyer. I'll share it in the show notes. You can go, I have Tyler at com. Email me. Um, like I said, I'll give you a way to, to schedule an appointment with me. I'll have a whole hour set aside to talk to just you. And we'll go over it. And it, it's not going to be a hostile thing. I probably will record it, you know, to be able to produce some sort of content out of the meetings because I like to spend my time wisely, as, as most effective as I can. So if a conversation like that is going to occur then I would have it on a Zoom meeting, or some kind of uh, meeting where we can talk and see each other and record it to be able to study and then use for my own uh, work in the future. So it's not like I'm using you and I'm going to vampiristically invite you on and have a meeting. 
it's just that I feel like that this is open forum stuff. So the stuff I'm putting out here is obviously into the commons and I want to discuss it. I use the word debate, argue. I don't mean in a negative sense though. I mean, go back and forth with the ideas, come to understand where each other are at and then move on. Like most of the time in a debate like that, the mind changing, growing stuff happens kind of behind the scenes in the background and afterward. Um, so I see the use of it, I understand, but Alan Watt really nailed it with that clip. I was paying attention as much as I could while checking the technical things. And, you know, he's explaining this revolutionary problem and, and what we see in these groups are just inauthentic people that are inauthentically getting through life. And obviously pulling back up into just the larger dynamics of groups. I'm not just talking specifically you listening to this about your group or about the groups that I'm familiar with. This is all, this is like small cliques of friends have this problem, right? Where you start kind of like leaning on the stronger, more dominant person in that clique and uh, letting them overly influence you and kind of like shaping you because you're not connected internally. You're not exploring the inner landscape and connecting with the true self and the ultimate connection that you can have with that uh, relationship and building that relationship, you're doing it externally. You're in the corporate world with the fake masks of your bullshit thing that you're doing there in that world and think that it's a, an actual uh, career or you're, you're making a living. I mean, the, the words that we use are just pathetic to describe what we do for fiat currency and then pretend that that's our real selves or whatever it is, your, your spiritual cult of people that all think that Priuses and cow farts are the two number one things we should be focused on in this world. And if we could all just reduce cow farts and increase Priuses, then everything would be so much better, right? There's, there's that non-thinking too. When, when cow farts aren't really the problem and this is not scientific and it's ridiculous. So I, I, here's what I, I've created a, a plan to divert the cow farts into apparatuses that can then run the Prius. Like that's what I plan to do to solve this, this issue that people are, are having with cows. I'm going to create an apparatus that compresses the cow farts into gas, which can then be used to power your Toyota Prius. I'm totally joking by the way, but, uh, you know, not being offensive is not one of the things that this show is going to be about. <laughs> So I don't want people listening and questioning me that are all offended about what I'm saying about my, my thoughts and opinions on things. So like you freaking out mad at me for what I'm saying about cow farts and the climate or veganism or the, you know, any of these things like go away. I don't want you listening on the show, commenting. And uh, if you're going to be all freaking out now, if you want to, like I said, have an actual conversation, have a, formalized debate even or have a discussion about these things that's fine i'm fine with that but like it, don't get all heated about things that you probably don't even fully understand and you just because you're in the group with your labels and your masks and everything artificial all around you and all the other artificial personas around you saying the same thing doesn't make you any better than me bro we're both on a journey of discovery or girl you know i don't mean to be offensive in that way. <laughs> People, listen here. I'm going to mansplain this to you. 
anyway, it should be about learning. I'm still learning. I'm still making mistakes. I'm still growing. And uh, I'm trying to move beyond out of the adolescent, you know, revolutionary movements and discovering that this is really all the meltdown is happening internally. The climate meltdown is something that's going on inside of people. That's another thing about that whole thing. It's a psychological meltdown is what it really is. And so, yeah, the, the psychological climate in people is melting down. Here we have Bruce Lee who says, Among people, a great majority don't feel comfortable at all with the unknown. That is anything foreign that threatens their protected daily mold. So for the sake of their security, they construct chosen patterns to justify. So he's saying to justify that uncomfortable, you know, the fear of that uncomfortableness of the unknown. There's easy way to, to get into habitual behavior and seek out the people that are like-minded that are saying the same thing as you, feel much more secure, and that helps justify, you know, this large thing that you're not addressing that needs to be addressed, right? The, the big thing that you've been putting off, that splinter in your mind, right? That that one guy said that one time, and then, you know, somebody else was saying it, and then, oh, Tyler came on, he was mentioning something about this. Maybe I'm in a cult, <laughs> right? That's that's kind of the idea that I'm I'm doing, is like, you know, one other voice out there trying to point out some of the bullshit in group-minded uh, ways of looking at the world here and obviously Bruce Lee there's no club there's no shirt there's no ba there's no badge there's no sticker for Bruce Lee right now there is a large following even the karate lessons that my son is taking is based off of his um, teachings but you know you don't see like cult-like people following individuals like Bruce Lee you see them following cult leaders who want to be cult leaders right but someone like like Bruce Lee is going to have a lot of ad admirers and fans and even fans is short for fanatic, right? So it's starting to get into this kind of group mind mentality, even people who overly obsess about other people's work, right? Well, a fan is, is short for being fanatic about something, right? Being overly obsessed about something. Um, but now we're going to bring Laban in for the first time uh, in this episode and let him have a say here on the masses. And he says, the masses have never thirsted after truth. They turn aside from evidence that is not to their taste, preferring to defy error if error seduced them. Whoever can supply them with illusions is easily their master. Whoever attempts to destroy their illusions is always their victim. An individual in a crowd is a grain of sand amid other grains of sand, which the wind stirs up at will. So again, the cult leader, right? The person providing the illusions easily becomes, you know, the people become fanatic over this character, over this individual. And anyone from the outside trying to say, hey, you know, maybe this part of that's not right. Or, hey, guys, let's have a conversation about this aspect of, of that thing that you're, that you guys are all saying. That person becomes the enemy, right? That person, the outsider, is going to become a here he's saying the victim right so he he knows how how bad this can get that that, that what i'm talking about here is kind of like out of concern for my own safety <laughs> of what i see happening with socialism communism being implemented here where i live and laws in other states kind of popping up that i'm hearing about 
that I'm like, whoa, 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 if that law were in my, where I live, like in this area, I would have to do something about that. And that's a line in the sand, right? And I would become the victim of the crowd at that point and maybe have to continue this work in my next life, <laughs> which I'm willing to do. And hopefully we can, if that's how things work, you know, we'll carry the next uh, series out and the next life and we'll continue this work as it needs to be done. Just talking about the dynamics of these groups and crowds, right? We'll bring this energy through in some other form and, and continue making slides all week. <laughs> so, of course, obviously, we couldn't get away from an episode without having Friedrich join us. And he says here, you know, insanity in individuals is something rare, but in groups, parties, nations, and epics, it is the rule. Famous quote, obviously probably been heard many times, but we had to have this quote in here with this presentation because basically this could be like the summary of what we're talking about. The crowdocracy, the rule, maybe this is where my mind kind of came up with this. The rule of crowdocracy is a rule. That's what I'm saying. It's like a law and it's like a, that is a principle. Once there's a crowd, it's the rule, the insanity, the non-thinking, the psychological derangement that is allowed and nurtured in the crowds, right? In the individuals, that's rare. It's rare to come across somebody who's individually having these problems. But in a crowd, you can guarantee it. You, you know it's there before you even have to question the people in the crowd, right? Go watch Mark Dice interview people on the street. <laughs> I was going to include a Mark Dice clip, and I'm like, no, that's too, A, it's too political, and he's funny, but... It's then people would say, well, you're a Trump supporter. He's big. He's like a big Trump supporter. And I'm just not into that. But he's funny. And he just shows this perfectly, like how dumb people in the collectives are out there wandering around. And I'm not saying that in a mean way. I'm not trying to be like, they're so dumb. Like, it's just that's the truth, man. And I'm going to speak the truth as it is. And the average idiot walking around out there is just that. Like, nothing going on up here at all. And totally in... The dynamic of like it's okay to be that way because I'm part of some bigger thing whatever that is for them their job their corporate thing their movement that they're a part of their new age spiritual stuff that they do on the weekends only or something they're Mormon you see a lot of that around here like they're well we're in the church and so we don't have to actually critically think about anything because we've already found it and like I'm not throwing stones at the church specifically I'm throwing stones at religion, right? Religion, which we don't have a great slide for that in this episode, but religion itself is this whole problem, right? That's the group dynamic manifest into whole worldviews built for you and that you can just pick up on and you don't have to critically think about any of it. That's religion, right? In the negative connotation of the word, religare, tie back, to hold back, to thwart from forward progress, that's the definition from the uh, Greek word relegare, or Latin. I'm not uh, able to pull that off the top, but it's one of those two sources of language where the Greek word religion, relegare, came from. And the negative connotation is to hold back and thwart from forward progress. So that's the, that's the group problem. That's the whole problem that we're talking about here. And, uh, you know, Ayn Rand chimes in and says, collectivism holds that the individual has no rights. So collectivism, groups, right, the mob, the herd, the crowdocracy. 
claims that uh, the individual has no rights, that his life and work belong to the group, to society, to the tribe, to the state, to the nation, and that the group may sacrifice him at its own whim to its own interests. The only way to implement a doctrine of that kind is by means of brute force, and statism has always been the political corollary of collectivism. The absolute state is merely an institution institutionalized form of gang rule. Regardless of which particular gang seizes power, right? Right? I should have underlined that. Regardless of which particular gang seizes power, and since there is no rational justification for such rule, since none has ever been or can ever be offered, the mystique of racism is crucial. Is a crucial element in every variation of the absolute state. The relationship is reciprocal. Statism rises out of prehistorical tribal warfare, out of the notion that men of one tribe are the natural prey for the men of another and establishes its own internal subcategories of racism, a system of caste determined by a man's birth, such as inherited titles of nobility or inherited serfdom. So this thing's all over the place because she's refuting statism and, you know, like the, the counter opposite to it. Um, not providing a big solution, which is, again, she's a very uh, deconstructionist <laughs> type uh, f philosophical writer. And uh, her analysis on the psychology of collectivism is, is absolutely required reading and uh, individualism. And if you've not read Ayn Rand out there, but you know, you're a feminist and out there really concerned about the planet and things like that, I would definitely say that Ayn Rand is something that you don't have in your worldview and need to definitely get some Ayn Rand going on <laughs> in um, what she's meaning and the, the virtue of selfishness and um, the meaning of all the, those things is largely misunderstood by the people that refute Ayn Rand's work and the meaning of selfishness in, in the way that she's putting it or sacrifice or true individualism. Um, it's not in a selfish, like me, me, me way, right? It's, it's what we've been talking about on this show, that, that connection with something that's bigger than your lowercase self, right? You're connected into this universe in ways, and you have um, you have so much potential when this starts to come into sight, into view, this connection, and this real relationship that you can have with the self, which is ultimately with the all, with things outside of politics and the rebellious movements against politics, you know. So we'll jump right into Bernays, who on top of that says the voice of people expresses the mind of people and that mind is made up for it by the group leaders and by those persons who understand the manipula the manipulation of public opinion so this is pivoting getting into more of uh, you know from Bernays's point of view like he's this overlord shepherd looking over the sheep like this very authoritarian top-down way of looking at us Kind of like we're the slime on the bottom of his shoe that he needs to manage. Like, just so you know, like that's the way Bernays is looking at us coming from in the context of this stuff. 
So he says, by those persons who understand the manipulation of public opinion, if we understand the mechanism and motives of the group mind, it is not possible to control and regiment the masses according to our will without their knowing it about it. Is it not possible, he's saying. Political campaigns today are all sideshows. A presidential candidate may be drafted in response to overwhelming popular demand, quote-unquote, but it is well known that his name may be decided upon by half a dozen men sitting around at a table in a hotel room. The conscious manipulation of the masses is an important element in a democratic society. Those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute the invisible government, which is the ruling power of our country. So this goes back to what I was doing a horrible job trying to explain earlier that, you know, he's, he knows the different layers of this. He's very well understood with the people that he's rubbing el elbows with. And then the psychological understanding that he has, you know, being the nephew of Sigmund Freud and kind of in these elite circles, you know, look at the, the way they think about the masses is like, yeah, they're going to come up with these ideas and they're going to have these things that they want and they're going to have overwhelming popular demand for that. And then they're going to need like somebody to kind of like take that as an outlet and uh, do, you know, what these people are saying or per say that they're going to do it so they can vote for it. And like, yeah, we're going to that's a very important element in the democratic society. What he's saying is like to let them think that that's happening. <laughs> but really, we know, he says, like our clique knows that that that's all bullshit and they're just being manipulated we might throw them a bone here and there this law might shift a little bit this tax might shift over here but ultimately like he knows that it's just manipulation of the masses and that it's not even i think he should have put democratic society in quotes like he knows that it's not a democracy he knows that there's what he says is a, a, a small group of men who are the true ruling power who know you know they're making decisions in hotel rooms behind the scenes and the average person in these masses in the democracy has no idea what's going on and so again Bernays coming at it from that pragmatic worldview from that well this is just how it is the masses are stupid and retarded so we must manage them with democracy right and that's the difference between the psychopath and the sage right the psychopath will look at it that way the psychopath says we need to manage all these idiots and make them into this type of idiot so that they do things this way, right? That's the Carnegie's, that's the Mellon's, that's the Rockefeller's, that's the social engineering, the behaviorist model, right? It's very pragmatic. It just says, well, this is the condition as it is, and so we've got to manage it this way. These are the, the, the scientific managers, right? Technocracy. This is the cybernetic technocratic control grid. Current in the modern day, you know, came out of behaviorism and Fabian socialism and MKUltra and all these different things. So that's not like a complete list, right? Obviously, it's more complicated than that, how we got to where we're at now. But the point being is that there is this level of people like Bernays still definitely existing now. Um, like you look at Obama's uh, science czar. Uh, I forget his name. I always forget his name, so it's not new. I'll put this in the notes, but he was like a massive eugenicist, right? Like totally wanted to depopulate the world, was putting forward all these ideas on how to do it. Um, it starts with a P. It's just I can't I never remember his name. <laughs> I'm bad with names. It, you know, I'll work on that uh, over time. But and that's I'm not saying like, oh, so Obama's regime, but now that Trump's regime is in, it's this way. Like, of course, there's all the rats of the CFR and everything else. Like, 
Kushner and all these different things that are going on with with that situation and this the swamp is fully loaded it's not been drained at all right like Trump is what Bernays was talking about there he's just a puppet puppet figure put out cause some problems over here make some people happy over here to make people think that the democracy is still functioning and that's how it actually works right all this stuff is that the Russia gate all that it's just to make you think that there's still some kind of functioning checks and balances system going on right another psychopath at that level of uh, influence and ability to lay out what were like plans for the new world order right <laughs> in brave new world not not like just a total fictional book Huxley and with his brother Julian Huxley right started UNESCO right Julian Huxley was largely involved in a lot of the United Nations operations so this family and this figure is not just some author of some bullshit uh, fictional thing that, well, oh, this interesting book we read in high school. Yeah, well, that's what you're talking about, right? And actually, after the after the slides today, I had a, a, out of his book, The Brave New World Revisited, which is not really a book. It's like an essay on The Brave New World Revisited. There's a section in there that we're going to have the computer read over the air. Because at that point, I won't want to read that long, huge part when my voice is already kind of getting sh shot here. <laughs> um, no, but so what he says here in this context is the nature of psychological compulsion is such that those who act under constraint remain under the impression that they are acting under their own initiative. The victim of mind manipulation doesn't know that he is a victim. To him the walls of his prison are invisible and he believes himself to be free that he is not not free that should say that he is not free is apparent only to other people his servitude is strictly objective and that's the problem is you'll miss like slides um, I'll have like a little typo here or there I try to do the spell checking but like when it's not spelled wrong it's just I just missed that so it says, so again, I'm going to read that again in the last part. That he is not free is apparent only to other people. His servitude is strictly objective. And this, this type of stuff goes on because these dudes understand how the group mind works, right? So there's my Tyler little understanding of how it works, trying to like explain it here on my show, right? How group thinking works. But I'm nowhere near like the psychological understanding that what you would call like a cultist. Uh, the people who rule behind the shadows, the dark occult, the occultocracy of people who are operating uh, in the shadowy realm of rulership, the real where the real power is, right? And it, there's all these stupid words like deep state and shadow government and all that. It like, doesn't even begin to explain how the world really actually works. But, you know, I'll use those terms. It seems to be like help help get across what I'm trying to say is that they're psychologists, that's ultimately where these people are at that um, kind of run things on this planet, right? They're deep psychologists. They understand so much about what I'm talking about here and are able to manipulate it that it would seem like that's the source of it. But all they're doing is recognizing a dynamic that occurs in the groups and then taking advantage of it. It's not the top down isn't creating these problems, right? They're exploiting the vulnerabilities in us and so we have to have the antivirus up we have to have 
um, an inward look at ourselves and constant monitoring and living in integrity and excellence as much 100% of possible, but we're, we're fallible, we're going to make mistakes. But in order to combat that, there's no group, there's no ism, it's the path of the individual. That's how you step out of being affected by stuff like what Aldous is talking about here. Even though the victim of mind manipulation, like he's saying, may not even understand that they've been, their world has been built for them. Their packaged movement has been created for them to be a dead end so that it won't threaten the overall hierarchy of how things actually work on this planet. And that can easily be seen looking back at like different things in history. Uh, like, oh, look at that. Look how, look at the, how the 60s and 70s people were manipulated in these ways, you know, in their revolution. And man, that's crazy that that happened there. But like, it, it's not happening now with any of the revolutions and movements that I'm involved in, of course, right? Like it couldn't be happening in my movement or revolution <laughs> that, that this goes on. No, no, it's happening in all the movements and all the revolutions and all the groups and all the isms and all the hyphenated things that are going on now are being heavily infiltrated, manipulated, and, you know, corrupted um, beyond what they already are. So they're already corrupt is what I'm pointing out. But then there's people that come in and understand how the group mind dynamic works and then just totally take control of the people and the movement and how it's directed right which is one of the just one of the major issues with groups and movements obviously so Fromm snuck his way in here today and says the lust for power is not rooted in strength but in weakness it is the expression of the inability inability of the individual self to stand alone and live it is the desperate attempt to gain secondary strength where genuine strength is lacking and his lust for power, he's not just talking about, like, wanting to be a tyrannical dictatorship, right? The lust for power over other people, you know? And that's what these movements will do. They'll say no masters above, but they're creating the slaves below. With their moral superiority and their intellectual superiority, they know all these certain things that you don't know. So, like, I've got all this information figured out that you don't have, so look how much smarter I am, right? Or... We're in this powerful group over here, in our powerful group of people that are on the rise. Can't you see that we're moving and we're on the rise now and we're becoming more popular? That's the, the power that he's talking about here. And that, that, that ultimately is rooted in weakness. That that's a sign that all those people are psychologically weak. And they're too afraid to be alone and stand alone as the individual. And put out their own thoughts and ideas and have their own... Uh, opinions about things. No, they have to default back to the group, to the powerful group of people with the powerful daddy-mommy figures in the group, like Larkin Rose and Mark Passio and, and look at Jeff Berwick and, oh my God, all these figures that I can now just rely on. And it's so obvious from the outside that this is all this exactly what Fromm is talking about here, that these people in these groups, it's not a rising because it's right and correct. It's rising and becoming more popular because the net has cast out wider now to all the weak people out there that are looking for some kind of next thing to get into after they break out of the primary matrix and they fall right into the movement traps right and that it's because they themselves haven't gone through enough of the strengthening and fixing and uh healing and connection and lo love for the self uh shadow work or whatever you want to call it behind the scenes work that needs to be done internal work so they just immediately fall right into the movement traps and that's what we're talking about here, right? That's what this whole last couple months has been about. And 
um, what several episodes moving into the future are going to be about is the secondary matrix people falling into the movement traps and that the group think is in the primary and secondary matrix um, Nathaniel Brandon chimes in and says rebelliousness or unconventionality unconventionality as such do not constitute proof of individualism just as individualism does not consist merely of rejecting collectivism so it does not consist merely of the absence of conformity a conformist is a man who declares it's true because others believe it but an individual is not a man who declares it's true because i believe it an individualist declares i believe it because i see in reason that it's true and this is from his work counterfeit individualism and i've been going through a lot of uh nathaniel brandon's work and uh, you know you can call me a randy and then you can throw me under the bus and you can hate me for my for claiming that individualism is a philosophy right but the truth of this statement is is um something that needs to be gone over a few times right it's something that you should really try to come to understand what's being portrayed in this group think uh, the crowdocracy the rule of crowdocracy is what is inherent in what Nathaniel is saying here right that the group the conformists they they're they're right because of consensus the climate change people are right because of consensus science right or my group but the non-aggression principle cult is right because look how many look how many of us say that that's the biggest thing and Mises wrote about it and the libertarian writers and free market economicists wrote about the non-aggression principle right that's not why it's true right it has to be true first you have to take it through a scientific method or some sort of method like the trivium a logical process and make sure there's no contradictions in what's being proposed and if it starts out that you self-evidently see that there's a contradiction and you also can't self-evidently verify that that's not like saying that that's the end all be all and now it's over but that's really not good <laughs> like that's not good when it doesn't match like the first things like okay the law of non-contradiction and the law of identity and uh these other things unless we're a total like crazy solipsist or we don't think that there is such a thing as the law of non-contradiction. That's a whole other topic. But if we're practicing science, which is based on logic, which is based on a philosophical understanding of existence, that, you know, there are no contradictions in nature. A is A. A cannot be B and A at the same time. The law of identity and all these things, right? Then if what you're saying doesn't even match up to like any of the things that we break it down with then it's obviously not a principle anymore right but if if like von hayek wrote about it and mises like then it's true because they said like it's just this appeal to authority it's appeal to consensus it's an appeal to your group and your conformity of thinking that it's true not because you've actually and you know like i love how he said like it's not even just because i say it's or i believe it's true it's because with reason i can explain it and show that it's true i can see in reason that it's true right much higher level of thinking about your worldview and presuppositions because ultimately that's all it is 
All of us are arguing from some sort of worldview and presupposition that we're building the rest of our thoughts and beliefs on. So our worldview and presuppositions are all built on some sort of ultimately what comes down to an assumption. And I'll give anybody that that would want to ultimately distill down things to the very bottom level is that most of us are still making some assumption, right? That we can't actually materially objectively verify with a scientific method. And that's kind of getting off into another topic, but it's still, it's relevant because, you know, I'm not claiming to have the 100% truth either. And I don't think logic or the trivium are like the end-all be-alls of discovering the truth. But I think they're tools that you can apply, definitely apply to find if there's a contradiction. And if there is, that's not good, right? That's not a good thing if there's starting off already contradictions coming up that can't be explained away or argued against then that's what he's saying like if that's why you come to know something is because you've put it through a process you don't just believe it and you don't just believe it because the group believes it you know it because you've gone through the hopefully you can self-evidently see that it's true and that's how we discover the truth right when we can see what's real, when we can see what's in nature, when we can see what's of nature and discover that which is real, we're operating uh, in, a, in a mode of where we're recognizing truth when we can discover it in that way, right? That's the method that I think is the best. And I think what the, a, a lot of the ancient wisdom teachings were attempting to describe is to respect and worship that which is real, nature, that which is self-evidently true and not artificial things not uh, your click on Facebook and all the things that you guys say because you guys all follow this one person and he's right about all these other things because we all say the same thing, right? That becomes like this, like this kind of like Big Brother 1984 type thing, but the masses just love it and they're just in it and they have their their minute of hate or three minutes of hate or whatever, right? And they, they can even hate Zuckerberg and they're still there in the technocratic, you know, control grid. And, uh, you know, worshiping their thoughts and beliefs and their groups and their opinions online because, you know, we're all in the Orwellian world anyway, right? So group, group think, double think, uh, it's all good in the artificial, right? In the non-real places that we decide to spend a lot of our time and focus and energy in these groups, right? That's where you'll see them. That's where you see the activists in these groups is online. They're not really living anything that they're saying. I mean, they're, they're probably making lifestyle changes according to, to their belief systems. But, you know, my activism isn't this show. My activism isn't my Facebook posts and pages. My activism isn't my website, my podcasts. My activism is in the things that I actually do in my real life that are living what I understand, right? That our, my wisdom is actually put into action in the real world. So, you know, for example, like we homeschool our children because I understand the corruption and the things that have gone on in public education, the issues with even sending your kid off to the government to be educated anyways, which is totally insane. And I don't just say this and like pass along information online and talk about, oh, have you read Weapons of Mass Instruction by John Taylor Gatto and you you watch the five ultimate history lesson and uh, no, like I first took huge changes to my own 
way of teaching and training and learning and coming to understand and research things myself, you know, but then we live that. Me and my wife, we homeschool our children. We have no plans to put them in any sort of public schooling. We're not opposed to different methods of education or the Montessori school or things like that. But, you know, that's just one example that um, and that's, you know, what I consider to be most effective to creating the change in the world that I perceive that needs to be done is to create, you know, confident children who have lots of love and care and attention given to them by their parents who uh, aren't dropping them off to have some stranger teach them things all day and then, you know, have issues that they have to deal with external to what they need right now is, you know, their family. What they need is, is their older siblings to teach the younger siblings what they know, like how it used to work. The older children would teach the younger children and then by in that way they learn more because they're teaching and all these things, right? Anyway, totally different show. We're, we're going to go into the history of American indoctrination and I have a bunch of material put together for that particular topic. Um, but that is just to say that, you know, I, I like to do this work. I like to create presentations and uh, material and podcasts and put it together in a unique and creative way that I feel like peop helps people outgrow the status quo, right? But if this, if like for some reason I'm not able to do this anymore, it doesn't stop what I'm doing in life uh, to you know, change things for the better for myself and for my family and then the community around us and then to, you know, create a more positive world because of that. That's where my work and my focus and my activism goes. This this is secondary. This is this is a outlet of information to be able to put it out for other people in a larger community, right? So it's still going back into the positive uh, self-fulfilling or it's the positive feedback loop, right? This work adds to what I do in life. But becoming autonomous, becoming an autonomous individual, becoming independent, becoming, um, you know, exploring my freedom in, in that way and my individualism while still practicing a, a holistic moral worldview that I don't I don't think that I should aggress upon others just because I don't agree with the non-aggression principle being a principle. There's still the laws of nature and cause and effect and how I see things and how they work with how if I treat people in this way, I'm going to get this back in this way, right? So I don't want to go out and aggress against people and, and cause uh, any form of negative things to come back my way. I, I perceive that that is the best way for human beings to live, right? And I so I do all these things, right? I have uh, relationships and mentors and uh, mentees and I have people... Uh, in my life that have nothing to do with Facebook and things like that and are completely outside of that as far as my activism quote-unquote goes right and uh, this tangent is something I don't remember why I even started talking about that <laughs> and I've had this this slide up before but Johann Wolfgang von Goethe says none are so hopelessly enslaved as those who falsely believe they are free the truth has been kept from the depths of their minds by masters who rule them with lies, they feed on falsehoods till right looks wrong in their eyes. And this definitely goes to the groups, right? And movements and the crowdocracy and the freedom movements, right? They believe they're free and they really have no idea about, about what's really going on 
especially if they're in a movement in a group. And that's when you see it as being like bullshit. When you see a large group of people all claiming these certain things, that's how you know it's false, right? That's the rule. That's the rule of crowdocracy is that if they all agree and they're all telling you that this is how it is, then it's almost 100% certain that it's wrong. <laughs> and that's like one of the easiest ways for you to discern if something's not correct without having to do a ton of research, although you should always, you know, follow up and do the due diligence with the research. But also just if everybody's chanting the same things and, and when you question it, you can see there's not a lot of depth to it there that's where you can kind of see you're on the track of like the group think web or a herd mentality type situation where you're dealing with religion, you're dealing with thoughts and beliefs that haven't been fully vetted or critically uh, thought about. They're not put through any sort of process at all that would work towards uncovering contradictions and refining that rhetoric. No, 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 no. Like if everybody's saying the same thing, that's where you're like big red flags all over the place, right? So now we'll get into more of that with Laban. We have three slides in a row from him and kind of the overall theme of the rule of crowdocracy coming from his book, The Crowd, which is a great read. Um, and if you haven't read it, you'd have to read it. Like you have to read Gustav Laban's The Crowd. You've heard of it, you know, you've seen it quoted. No, you have to go read the whole thing. It's one of those required works that you're going to have to go through. So I'll link it in the show notes for you to make it a little bit easier, but it's readily available out there. He says, it is not necessary that a crowd should be numerous for the faculty of seeing what is taking place before its eyes to be destroyed and for the real facts to be replaced by hallucinations unrelated to them. As soon as a few individuals are gathered together, they constitute a crowd. And though they should be distinguished men of learning, they assume all the characteristics of crowds with regard to matters outside their speciality. The faculty of observation and the critical spirit possessed by each of them individually at once disappears. Right? So capitalizing on and reiterating what we've been saying here. He goes on to say, such facts such, such facts show us what is the value of the testimony of crowds. Treatises on logic include the unanimity of numerous witnesses in the category of the strongest proofs that can be invoked in support of the exactness of a fact. Yet what we know of the psychology of crowds shows that treatises on logic need on this point to be rewritten. The events with regard to which there exists the most doubt are certainly those which have been observed by the greatest number of persons. To say that a fact has been simultaneously verified by thousands of witnesses is to say, as a rule, that the fact is very different from the accepted account of it. Reiterating what I was saying about that, that if there's a consensus, that's when there's a red flag that comes up, right? Or should. And we end with Laban where he says, it is the need of liberty, but not of servitude. Oh, wait, sorry, let me say that again. It is the need not of liberty, but of servitude that is always predominant in the soul of crowds. They are so bent on obedience that they instinctively submit to whoever declares himself their master. So it's not, they're not in need of liberty, but of servitude, right? So it's uncovering what's really going on here with the movements, with the groups and crowds.
with the with the movement traps is what's really going on is a fear of freedom an escape from freedom and a willingness and wanting to be enslaved by some other force by some other set of ideas and principles and gurus and Bernays again says the new profession of public relations has grown up because of the increasing complexity of modern life and the consequent necessity of making the actions of one part of the public understandable to the other sectors of the public. It is due to the increasing dependence of organized power of all sorts upon public opinion, governments of public opinion. Governments, whether they are monarchical, constitutional, democratic, or communist, depend upon acquiesced acquiescent public opinion for the success of their efforts and in fact government is only government by virtue of public acquiescence industries public utilities educational movements indeed all groups representing any concept or product whether they are a majority or a minority of ideas succeed only because of approving public opinion public opinion is the unacknowledged partner in all broad efforts so again, from his perspective, explaining how they can use this to further whatever they're trying to do, you know, with propaganda, he was, I think he came up with the term propaganda to be used as a, a way of getting your message across to persuade somebody. So he was also involved with advertising, right? Like he was a marketer, right? Because they understand psychology and he did things like have women parade down the street, at like some kind of Macy's Day parade with cigarettes back when it wasn't acceptable for women to really accept uh, smoke publicly like that. And they called them like freedom, freedom smokes or something like freedom, freedom cigs or something. I don't remember what they called it, but they called it freedom. And it was all, oh, look at these ladies out here smoking cigarettes freely. And really it was just a way for them to increase cigarette sales. Like that's what they were trying to do. So it's not always like purely like they're trying to get you to murder your children. Like, Sometimes they're just trying to sell you something, right? And that's what you'll see all across the board, like not just in Edward Bernays type crowds of people, but in the freedom movements, in the movements themselves, there's people within them that understand how to sell stuff to the people in that crowd. And then they understand how to manipulate to get you to buy something. Like a lot of the time, that's what it is. And they become kind of like a leader within that group when their whole plan all along was just to sell you things and bring you into their funnel and they're selling you freedom. They're selling you this ideas of things um, that end up, you know, just being a way for them to manipulate you. They understand that Bernaysian perspective on things. And here we have Albert Pike who says, where the armies of the despots cease to slay and ravage, the armies of freedom take their place and the black and white commingled slaughter and burn and ravish. Each age reenacts the crimes as well as the follies of its predecessors. And still war licenses outrage and turns fruitful lands into deserts. And God is thanked in the churches for bloody butcheries and the remorseless devastators, even when swallowed by, swollen by plunder, are crowned with the laurels and receive ovations. Ovations. <laughs> ovations. Jeez. Of the whole of mankind, not one in 10,000 has any aspirations beyond the daily needs of the gross animal life. In this, and you can see, he, he's sort of coming at it, this Masonic brother, right? Coming, 
coming at it from like the same, not the exact same, but the same sort of perspective as Bernays. Like, this is just how it is, and this is how it's got to be, and this is how we're going to fix that for us. So he says, of the whole of mankind, not one in 10,000 has any aspirations beyond the daily needs of the gross animal life. In this age, and in all others, all men except a few in most countries are born to be mere beasts of burden, co-laborers with the horse and the ox. Profoundly ignorant, even the civilized lands, they think and reason like animals by the side of which they are they toil. So, again, psychopath way of looking at it is like calling people like animals and like that's just how they are and that's just how it's going to be. Like, no, they're, you know, I think this understanding is, is somewhat understandable, but to look at it from the Bernaysian perspective or sort of how Albert Pike is the tone here is so kind of like, that's just how it's going to be. And I, I, I sort of agree with that, but it doesn't mean that I don't think that there are solutions. It doesn't mean that I don't think that we can do things in a way that doesn't silently manipulate the crowds that we don't need to, to, socially engineer the crowds into doing this or that or to depopulate like I definitely don't come to I'm a populationist I think there needs to be more people so I'm here being very critical of crowds and crowd minds but then also I'm a populationist I think there should be more people on this planet I think that the uh, chances of genius and solving these problems comes in larger numbers and of course you're always going to have the crowd dynamics going on but we can work through that like human beings this is not this is because of the way that we are currently but it doesn't mean that we can't get out of that the whole group mind thing right i think that's how i'll finish up there again bruce lee have him twice in this show says only the self-sufficient stand alone most people follow the crowd and imitate where some people have a self most people have a void because they are too busy in wasting their vital creative energy to project themselves as this or that, dedicating their lives to actualizing a concept of what they should be like rather than actualizing their potentiality as a human being. So really just capitalizing on the theme of this whole episode, you know, I don't, I, not much needs to be said there. That's just, mm-hmm, yep, just like we've been saying here in this whole it's not just Tyler coming up with it. It's not just me saying these things. You know, and what we should work to be like, right, is this famous slide of this guy with all the Nazi supporters in the crowd and everybody's, you know, up watching the Fuhrer and they're really stoked and they're going to do their Nazi salute. You know, it's funny, like, who knows if this picture was just by chance or not, but the look on this guy's face is like, I ain't having none of this. Like, y'all people are crazy, right? So... The idea, the solution here is to be like this guy, you know, you're not overly skeptical, but you've got some questions. You need uh, to have a conversation about this. Some things uh, don't seem right about what's being said here, right? So we need to be more like that guy. And uh, a quote from Galatians, Galatians, the Bible, for if a man thinks himself, think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. So again, what I 
think that should be done about all this problem of the crowds is what's being said here that you remove yourself from the group and you do your own work and doesn't mean that you're completely outside of the the crowd or that you're outside of society or that you're now shunned into the corner you don't get to hang out with people anymore it just means that your uh intellectual processes your ability to use the capacity of your mind uh to determine fact from fiction is fully your responsibility to do on your own there's no group or crowd that's going to do that for you you know and uh that's really what I think we can do to get out of this. Amen. Uh, but of course, to do that, you must turn your back on that crowd, right? Like the man who wants to lead the orchestra must turn his back on the crowd. So if you want to create the great work, if you want to do that good thing that you want to do, if you want to accomplish that goal that you're trying to accomplish, if you want to set up that entrepreneurial activity that you're trying to do, if you're going to start going to the gym at five in the morning or go on walks or you're going to create slides and endless presentations that go on forever and ever and never have any kind of end in sight. Uh, but that's what you want to do. Well, to do those great works, you have to turn your back on the crowd. And that, that could even be family. That could be friends. That could be people that you used to spend a lot of time with. That could be habits of groups and ways of thinking, a particular sports events that you used to attend. You know, so the bread and circuses is a huge part of the crowd problem and the the sports and all that they're they're there for you to follow into right these sporting events are never should have been as popular these guys that get paid millions and millions and millions of dollars to play a game on tv and have other men and women watch them play the game is one of those things we were talking about yeah the crowd creates some of this stuff but some of the stuff is like manipulated down in front of you put there on purpose in front of you and sports being one of those things to control the masses, the bread and circuses, right? The old Roman Colosseum, the understanding of how to keep the crowd happy is to give them plenty of bullshit to eat and plenty of entertainment to watch. And as long as they're entertained and have plenty of bread and stuff to fill their belly, they're perfectly happy with that. They're content in getting their, their entertainment and just checking out and being involved in the masses, right? And I'm sorry, but watching sports as an adult is a complete waste of time and energy and has nothing to do with furthering uh, growth in yourself or freedom for others or the truth or discovering truth or uh, researching things properly. And it's a, it's a total mind suck and it's a soul sucker too. And there's, there's um, an absurdity to grown men and women obsessing over other grown men and women playing with balls and playing games you know, not, none of it is dignifying. I mean, even the the players like in football themselves are getting head injuries all the time and injuring themselves. But again, going back to the Roman gladiators, right? That's what people want to see. That's what the crowd wants. That's what they want to see. And of course, uh, you know, the famous William Blake quote, uh, the hand that crushes the tyrant's head becomes the tyrant in its stead with these crowds and groups and ultimately mob rule. And the crowdocracy um, is what also manifests out of crowds, is that public opinion and social justice warriors become like the most tyrannical people, right? With their thoughts and beliefs and opinions, pushing them down your throat, passing a law that you have to do A, B, C, D to save the planet or whatever it is. So James Hollis uh, wraps up our slideshow today saying the act of 
consciousness is central, otherwise we are overrun by the complexes. The hero in each of us is required to answer the call of individuation. We must turn away from the cacophony of the outer world to hear the inner voice. When we can dare to live its promptings, then we achieve personhood. We may become strangers to those who thought they knew us, but at least we are no longer strangers to ourselves. And we didn't manage to get Carl Jung in here today, but man, we got a Jungian in here. <laughs> Might as well have had Carl Jung in here. He could have said this. And so, um, you know, not that I'm like in the Jungian cult, but it's he understood a lot of the stuff about um, selfhood, about individuation, about the crowd and group dynamics and consciousness. And, um, you know, I'm just going back again to like, I've not come up with this theory and understanding and insight on, on crowds and group dynamics, obviously. I'm not on the attack, I'm just recognizing that which is like totally just self-evidently true. And not just to me, right? Like, but this dynamic needs to be thought about in any group, in any crowd, in any social dynamic that you're involved, when, involved with. The constant integrity check, the constant am I operating in selfhood? Am I operating as a true individual in this dynamic? And a lot of the time you'll find that you're clutching, that you're reaching, grasping, kind of leaning on these other individuals in whatever group it is, whatever online class, whatever, you know, bunch of people that you're around. The trick is, is not to be just confrontational all the time, right? The trick is, is that there is an art and a, a, a whole life ahead of you that's going to be worth going down that path of discovering how to operate in that way, as uncomfortable and as scary as it is to be a true individual, there's a way to do it that actually inspires and helps other people and helps them to be individuals as well. It doesn't put them down. There's a way to do things without just attacking on the people in these groups and things like that, right? And, uh, you know, I'll try to do that a little bit in, in the work that I put forward. Some of it is like I said, heavily on the deconstructive side, and, and especially recently I've been doing a lot of that, heavy on the deconstruction of uh, the movements and the, and the different movements that are out there. So it may seem like I'm just, you know, being a certain way, but, you know, it's taken a lot of work and practice and effort on my own part to be able to even have the courage to get up and, let's say, like pre-record something, let alone to come and jump on and do it live and the reason why I'm able to do that is because of this work uh, that James was talking about, right? Or the work that Young will be talk talking about. Um, because of doing the work towards becoming an autonomous individual, I can, you know, have the ability and confidence and know-how to put myself out there in a way um, that I'm trying not to come out and just aggressively be angry about the different things that are going on in the world and talking about this headline and that headline and this and then we need to focus on this now Trump said this and now now we need to act this way and the, the group is doing this so the dynamics of the group follow the cults that I'm following or this is happening like no this is very much you know if you're not catching that maybe you don't maybe nobody cares but me creating something that's coming from me that's coming from myself, my internal understanding and knowledge and wisdom of these things being projected through other people's works and bringing in, you know, the greats and the great works that they've put out in their lives and kind of synthesizing that all into just Tyler Bloyer's insight, right? That's what I was originally going to call kind of a stream or a blog or a podcast was like Tyler's insights, like 
just the stream of consciousness. Well, none of that could be done if I'm strictly following the crowd. And like each time I post a video, I'm like super, super concerned about anybody that commented or super concerned about what my click online thinks about my show. And like, oh my God, there's all this drama happening with this other figure over here. How does my rhetoric fit into what's going on with all that stuff? Like, I'm not thinking about any of those things. I'm not, I don't care about any of the groups online or people on Facebook that think that I'm now rebelling against the previous thoughts that I had on this. Like that's not, none of that is even on a concern on my radar. It's there. I see comments come by. I see people saying this or that. I see an email come in about this or that. I, I let it fly across my eyeballs and now I'm on my day. I'm going on with my day, you know? So there's this large level of work, what I'm trying to say, that I've done personally to work through the psychological problems that we're talking about on the show today. And that I used to have a lot of the issues of, you know, I was brought up in public school. I was brought up in a religion. And, you know, the group dynamics and group mind psychology that's been indoctrinated into my mind that I've had to work through and work out of and take years and years and years over a decade to kind of get to the point where I'm at now. It's not something that I just easily did overnight. I understand the barriers to entry that are there for autonomizing. But if I can do it, then there's hope <laughs> for humanity. Because if I can do it, that means that, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are a lot smarter than me or have a lot different tools and different aspects of themselves that's going to make that journey easier for them, you know. It doesn't have to be as painful maybe as it is for others to go through or for myself to kind of break down all that stuff and, you know, replace it with things that were healthy, things that were empowered me to act in a positive way rather than just, you know, act in a very deconstruct, uh, uh, you know, disempowering way, a way that would end up harming myself, which there was some of that too. And that's what this show is about. That's what this series is about. Is helping people to stay out of the movement traps right so we're in part three of falling into the movement traps we're kind of going to go in and wrap up pretty soon here the show today for uh, the rule of crowdocracy and then we'll move on in the series of the movement traps um, soon I'm not going to say when for sure but we'll have the next episode out in the series at some point in the very near future would it be done live, just like all these other shows, unless there's some issue with uh, one of the accounts in live streaming or something. We can always switch it to a pre-recorded format. There's no problem with me doing that. i just kind of been enjoying doing it in this format. And again, you can go to tylerbloyer.com. I don't think we have a ton of activity in the Discord server to address, but there is a Discord you can get in. You can even jump in there and come on and ask me a question. Now was the time to do that. Post slide deck uh, in between now and when we close out the show. If I see somebody pop in, we'll make room. We'll make that happen. That's the whole point of offering it. And so I'm not just up here ranting with no opportunity for feedback or people to voice their opinion. Now, you know, if something somebody comes on and is just being ridiculous or something like that, we're going to cut that off. If somebody's being overly aggressive or you know, straight up just like mean or something. Well, we're not going to tolerate that on the show. But if someone wants to come on and have a conversation, like I said, even if it's a little off topic or has a question about my work or what I've been saying or me personally or something like that, there's the opportunity there for you to do that. Now, we're going to do a little bit of a 
post-lecture video uh, clip here, and then we'll get into wrapping up my notes for the show, talking about any of the things that still need to be addressed for the particular topic today, and uh, then we'll close out the show. But for now, we're going to go into a longer, I think like 13 to 15 minute clip from Alan Watt. Uh, just again kind of going over some of these dynamics and I like uh, his style of presentation I also think his work should be looked into so he's one of those people that I, I'll bring on With some of his clips because I want people to go look at his work like I don't like you can forget about me and go look get into his stuff and um, cutting through the matrix and um, Just the amount of detail that he goes into and if you're gonna you know if you learn a lot from him, I think people should do like this. Like he, like I said, he complains quite a bit that people don't ever reference him or give. And so here I am. I'm putting in a little word for Alan uh, Watt, and uh, here we go. But getting back to the trivia on the news, I won't bother even repeating the awful stuff that they're giving out as news now because it's rubbish, as utter trivia and and rubbish. I'll, I'll talk about about uh, propaganda because you're you're given propaganda which really comes through neuroscience today, uh, and you have these guys calling, calling it neuroscience, not just psychology, but neuroscience, how to manipulate public opinion constantly, and, and it's through all uh, government ads, it's through all general ads, by the way, because Madison Avenue is a big, big part of the establishment, and, uh, and it's through all your entertainment, uh, and it's quite simple to do, really. But anyway... Getting back to Bertrand uh, Aldo Huxley, I'll mention him in his book, uh, Brave New World Revisited, where he tells you how they can bring in this type of system and how they probably will. And he talks on propaganda. He uses Hitler. They always use Hitler, for, for example. They never use Stalin uh, and so on, because communism is almost a holy thing for these guys since they set it all up. But um, they talk about Adolf Hitler, how... Uh, he, he, he used a lot of techniques that they use today. Motivational research was a, a thing that he was already into, which, which really worked on the masses. And he would use unqualified assertions and sweeping generalizations. He says, these are the propagandist stock and trade. All effective propaganda, Hitler wrote, must be confined to a few bare necessities and then must be expressed in a few stereotype formulas, global warming, global warming, global warming, weapons of mass destruction, weapons of mass, and so on, that kind of stuff. It says, in a few stereotype formulas, these stereotype formulas must be constantly repeated, for only constant repetition will finally succeed in imprinting an idea upon the memory of a crowd. And Hitler said the same thing. He did, he, people were just a crowd. Individuals don't fall for it, but the crowd does, you see. Philosophy teaches us to feel uncertain about the things that seem to us self-evident. Propaganda, on the other hand, teaches us to accept as self-evident matters about which it would be reasonable to suspend our judgment or to feel doubt. The aim of the demagogue is to create social coherence under his own leadership. But as Bertrand Russell has pointed out, systems of dogma without empirical foundations, such as scholasticism, Marxism and fascism, have the advantage of producing a great deal of social coherence amongst their disciples. The demagogic propagandist must therefore be consistently dogmatic, always dogmatic in their statements. It's climate change, it's climate change, global warming. No matter if it's pouring down rain or it's snowing and you're up to your eyeballs in it. All his statements are made without qualifications, and that's what you get, no qualifications. Any study they've done it proves the opposite. 
There are no greys in his picture of the world. Everything's either diabolically black or celestially white. In Hitler's words, the propaganda should adopt a systematically one-sided attitude towards every problem that has to be dealt with. He must never admit that he might be wrong or that people with a different point of view might even partially be right. And you find that with all these things that are put for the carbon taxes coming and the global warming and all that. They're completely dogmatic about it. They're all on board, as they say. Their opinions are all unified. Opponents should not be argued with. They should be attacked, shouted down, or if they become too much of a nuisance, liquidated. The morally squeamish intellectual may be shocked by this kind of thing, but the masses are always convinced that right is on the side of the active aggressor. And isn't that true? Isn't that true? The active aggressor gets the confidence of the public. Such then was Hitler's opinion of humanity in the mass. It was a very low opinion. Was it also an incorrect opinion? The tree is known by its fruits and a theory of human nature which inspired the kinds of techniques that proved so horribly effective must contain at least an element of truth. Virtue and intelligence belong to human beings as individuals freely associating with each individuals in small groups. So do sin and stupidity. But the subhuman mindlessness to which the demagogue makes his appeal, the moral imbecility on which he relies when he goads his victim into action, are characteristics not of men and women as individuals, but of men and women in masses. Think of music television, folks. They're turning every female into a lesbian whore. Have you, have you listened to the words and the stuff? Have you listened to any of the words? But that's for the mass woman, you see, not for the individual. There's too few individuals, in male or females. Mindlessness and moral idiocy are not characteristically, characteristically human attributes. They are symptoms of, listen to this, herd poisoning. And again, that's music, television, that's your entertainment industry, and so on. It's done on purpose, too, by the way, because there's an agenda behind it and a reason for it. Herd poisoning. In all the world's higher religions, salvation and enlightenment, are for individuals, and that's true too. People miss that point. They always attack the mass church, never attack. They never understand that, that true religion can only appeal to the, the thinking intellectual. It's not something you just dump yourself in a, a, a bucket of water and you suddenly see the light or get on your knees like Mason with a blindfold and your, your, your chest exposed and your pants rolled up. I mean, it, it's actually an inner thing that happens to the person, the individual. There's nowhere where Jesus says he came to save the world. Far from it, he says he came to save the few. And he told he talked about the broad way, it was for the masses, and the road to heaven was very narrow, and few would find it. Anyway, and it's the same in the other religions too. It's for the few who understand the higher meanings. So the kingdom of heaven is within the mind of a person, not within the collective mindlessness of a crowd. Christ promised to be present where two or three are gathered together. He did not say anything about being present where thousands are intoxicating one another with herd poison. Look at the tent preachers on television today with their buckets of money going round as they pretend to heal people. Under the Nazis, enormous numbers of people were compelled to spend an enormous amount of time marching in serried ranks from point A to point B and back again to point A. This keeping of the whole population on the march seemed to be a senseless waste of time and energy. Only much later, adds Hermann Rauschening, uh, was there revealed in it a subtle intention based on a well-judged adjustment of ends and means. 
Marching diverts men's thoughts. Marching kills thought. It kills thought. That's what the army's for, to make you uniform. Marching makes an end of individuality. Marching is the indispensable magic stroke performed in order to accustom the people to a mechanical, quasi-ritualistic activity until it becomes second nature. So Hitler was perfectly correct in his estimate of human nature. To those of us who look at men and women as individuals rather than as members of crowds or of regimented collectives, he seems hideously wrong. In an age of accelerating overpopulation or of accelerating overorganization and ever more efficient means of mass communication, he says, how can we preserve the integrity and reassert the value of the human individual? This is a question that can still be asked and perhaps effectively answered. A generation from now it may be too late to find an answer and perhaps impossible in the stifling collective climate of uh, that future time even to ask the question. So, you got to understand, you're not really... Li- you, I always say to people, who are you? And because they'll ask you who you are. What they really mean is, what are you? And they, and they judge you by what you do. And what you do will generally tell them what you think that your bank account will be. That's how people judge you in a commercialized system. But when I ask them, who are you? And they give you a name. I said, no, that's not what I mean. Who are you? I want to know who you are as a person. And what they'll try to do right after that is to give you all the things that would satisfy a herd mentality with their answers. They will not try and tell you who they really are as a person, what they think about things, uh, what, what they're uncomfortable about in society and stuff like that. They'll try to give you all the, the status quo, politically correct question, uh, answers. He goes on in this book too, he says, in the two preceding chapters are described the techniques of what may be called wholesale mind manipulation as practiced by the greatest demagogue and the most successful salesman in recorded history. But no human problem can be solved by wholesale methods alone. The shotgun has its place, but so has the hypodermic syringe. In the chapters that follow it, I shall describe some of the more effective techniques for manipulating not crowds, not entire publics, but isolated individuals. In the course of this epoch-making experiments on the conditioned reflex, Ivan Pavlov, that monster of a person, I added that part in, Observed that when uh, subjected to prolonged physical or psychic stress, lab animals exhibit all the symptoms of a nervous breakdown. Well, that's what they had. Refusing to cope any longer with the intolerable situation, their brains go on strike, so to speak, and either start working all together, the dog loses consciousness, or he also resorts to slowdowns and sabotage. The dog behaves unrealistically or develops a kind of physical symptoms which in a human being we should call hysteria. Some animals are more resistant to stress than others. Uh, dogs progress, uh, processing what Pavlov called strong accessory constitutions break down much more quickly than dogs of a merely lively uh, disposition as opposed to a choleric or agitated temperament. Similarly, weak inhibitory dogs uh, reach the end of their t- uh, tether much sooner than do calm imperturbable dogs. But even the most stoical dog is unable to resist indefinitely. You understand he's not talking about dogs here. And, and Pavlov wasn't interested in just how dogs... Have, they wanted to know how people would react. Eh? That's what all experiments are about, ultimately. If the stress to which he is subjected is sufficiently intense or sufficiently prolonged, he will end by breaking down as abjectly and as completely as the weakest of his kind. Pavlov's findings were confirmed in the most distressing manner 
and on a very large scale during the two world wars as a result of the single catastrophic experience of a successful a succession of terrors, uh, less appalling but frequently repeated, soldiers develop a numbing or disabling psychophysical symptom, temporary uh, unconsciousness, extreme agitation, lethargy, functional blindness, or paralysis, completely unrealistic responses to the challenges of events, strange um, responses, um, uh, strange reversals to lifelong patterns of behavior. All the symptoms which Pavlov observed in his dogs reappeared among the victims of what in the First World War was called shell shocks. Shell shock in the second battle fatigue. Every man, like every dog, has his own individual limit of endurance. Most men react, reach their limits after about 30 days of more or less continuous stress under the conditions of modern combat. The more than average susceptible uh, succumb in only 15 days. See, it's not normal to go out and slaughter folk. That's why they have to train you to slaughter people and kill other people you don't even know. Uh, and the army's uh, very good at that. That's his job. It's to train you to go off and slaughter people you don't know. Uh, and maybe even to like it for some. And it's not normal either to be chased up a battlefield with a shell chasing you the size of a Volkswagen that, that blows everything to pieces when it lands. This is a form of madness, you understand. And it's economic war too. The guy who's going to get blown to bits hasn't got a clue of the big corporations that are involved in this and who's going to profit. He's not been told that within his propaganda sphere. Anyway, the more than average tough t- uh, can resist for 45 or even 50 days, strong or weak in the long run, all of them break down. All that is to say of those who are initially, the ins- initially sane. For ironically enough, the only people who can hold up un- indefinitely under the stress of modern war are psychotics. Interesting, eh? Individual insanity is immune to the consequences of collective insanity. So you have to be psychotic. Have you noticed, too, the soldiers can keep going back for tour after tour, year after year today? Have you noticed that's where all the drugs are on? And the, the, the better uh, psychological conditioning they get and training to, to be impersonal about slaughtering folk and to feel good about it. I've always thought it odd when, when your propaganda goes in in any country and you, so you, they show you some soldiers coming home and they always show you the loving wife and a, maybe a child or two uh, and the, the hugs and they're so happy to be back. But this guy's just come back from slaughtering other mothers and children somewhere else across the planet. There's something wrong here, you know. As I say, this character too will give you this, this, the pat answers of his propaganda. We're over there to bring them democracy and, and give them freedom. And all that rubbish, when you know damn well that, that uh, Chase and all the rest of the big corporations and, 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 uh, are involved with the war and massive profits, and they're all getting dibs on first grabs and everything to be had in the land that's going to be conquered and plundered. Nothing changes, just better, better techniques of brainwashing. This is the fact that every individual has its breaking point has been known in an accrued unscientific way exploited from time immemorial. In some cases, man's dreadful inhumanity to man has been inspired by the love of cruelty for its own horrible and fascinating sake. More often, however, pure sadism was tempered by utilitarianism, theology, or reasons of state. There goes physical torture. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back and we're cutting through the matrix talking about reality and 
how reality is manipulated, and it's always manipulated by propaganda from many, many sources. That, and people today are trained, of course, not to listen in silence to anything. They've got to have a radio blaring or a television blaring or on the cell phone or something blaring or occupied by a game or whatever it happens to be. They're, 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 you've not been taught to sit and think for yourself. It's a peace, you know, that can come when you sit and think for yourself. It's quite amazing to try it. Personally, I think a lot of folk have never done it in their whole lives. All right, so that was a good attribution to today's talk. And I guess I don't need these on anymore. <laughs> we'll just set those up there. So, yeah, so again, go check out Alan Watt and his work as part of a homework assignment for uh, today's class uh he has endless talks on on all that kind of stuff that we were hearing him talk about there and you can see he kind of has a wide uh array of sources to kind of pull from and uh, i can't quite do the, the alan watt impersonation because i don't have a raspy enough voice but what we can see is that it's the big boys at the top that are always practicing the mind control on the sheep and the new versions of the mind control and uh, it's the big boys at the top. It's always been that way. It's always going to be that way here in Canada where it's freezing. It's freezing in the north. I'm up here with my with my cigarettes and my wood and just burning wood to stay warm. No, I'm just <laughs> See, I, can't, I don't have the graspy enough voice. I, I need to smoke self-rolled stogies for another 50 years and then I can do the Alan Watt. The Alan Watt impersonation. Um, so really just wanted to kind of wrap up on a few things that, uh, when we're looking at the group dynamics, one of the biggest issues that we're seeing here play out in the modern day is the divide and conquer strategy, as has been said, is that once you're in a group, uh, you can more easily be, be manipulated as we were seeing Bernays talk about, uh, where the individual is less likely to be manipulated. So it's not just that it's bad to have social dynamics or group dynamics. Um, it's very important to understand the way that these things are manipulated, such as we were discussing in today's episode. And uh, we'll continue to do so. And as Alan Watt, Alan Watt will continue to do so as well with the big boys at the top. Um, so when you're divided into groups, you know, you can easily pit these groups against each other. You can manipulate them with information that maybe the other group is not getting. You can do like A-B split testing on your manipulation, right? So individuals are a lot less likely to succumb to these tactics, although it's not that they're not susceptible. It's not that they aren't vulnerable to these types of ma manipulations and attacks from, you know, the psychologist on the outside trying to get you to take this action or that action or not take certain actions, not know certain things. Um, as an individual, that's a lot less likely to occur um, than when you're in a crowd dynamic. It's much more likely that something like that is, is going to come up, such as in like religious groupthink, right? Um, we have a quote from Karl Marx, right, where he says, religion is the opioid of the masses, or the opium of the masses. And because he's recognizing that it subdues the masses in order for them to be able to be controlled from the top down, right? 
And we can obviously see examples of extreme religious cults throughout history where, where that was done and people were manipulated and drank the Kool-Aid, so to say, right? But then there's softer forms of religion, like money being a religion. Or how about, how about I, when I say softer forms, I guess I just mean less known forms. So we could call religion, uh, government could be a religion, right? Science as a religion, the religion of scientific consensus, <laughs> right? The scientific community as a religion right? in, the, in the negative sense, something that's holding back and thwarting from forward progress. Uh, the people who are following that religion. And another place that we'll see that um, happening is in what I've kind of brushed on a little bit, but outside of politics and religion and these things are, you know, like the transcendental meditation cult, right? And how there's a whole group surrounding these uh, you know, guru types. And I forget forget the specific name of the specific group guru that kind of popularized transcendental meditation uh, but he was like a guru type figure and um, it's not that there's anything wrong with transcendental meditation but there's again the crowdocracy it's the, the rule of crowds is that there's always going to be the people in the crowd that are seeking to rest on you and to rest on the group and to pass on kind of dump their baggage into the group as well and get the feedback and the you know the affectations and cues from other people and the, not that people don't need these things and want these things but um there's this dynamic that we've been talking about today going on in these crowds and groups that have to be uncovered and known and exposed so that people can be aware how to operate as an individual around other people and uh, remain autonomous while working with others. There's, it's not like I'm saying that's not a thing, that that's what we should do. Um, we're going to need, we can't do it ourselves, right? We, ha we can't do life by ourselves. It doesn't work that way. It's not in built into it. It's not self-evidently that that's the case, that it should be that way, right? But psychologically speaking, mentally speaking, is what we're talking about here, right? And that's that's got to be kind of always reiterated when I'm talking about ending slavery we're talking about in the mind we're talking about ending the psychological processes that are destructive to the individual that's having these processes go on the negative self-talk right even we're talking about the epigenetic factors of mental slavery that could be tweaked and changed and improved upon to create a whole new person even like a rebirth of somebody else into a new life of autonomy and something where they can live and grow and thrive as an individual and not having to sacrifice three-fourths of themselves, right? Like uh, one of the quotes, one of the slides in the presentation. We don't have to give up our whole self in order to be part of the group, right? We can be in this world, but not of it, right? <laughs> as they would say. Uh, we can be a part of society without... Uh, completely involving ourselves in other people and in groups and in society. Um, and as far as the show notes go for this episode, uh, we're, we're going to try to put in all the things that I said that I would put in, in addition to anything else that can be helpful for um, providing context in, into the group think and, and the rule of crowdocracy, right? And I appreciate anyone who's given their time and attention and uh, who's paid attention to the information trying to be provided here. Um, again, 
follow up with questions to me. I'm fine with that. We'll have a whole show maybe on just answering people's questions. Um, or I can spend time going back and forth if I have the time to, to drop an email. I, I definitely try to address people that take their time to write in to me. Um, in life or in the show, in life, I'm always trying to make sure I'm not leaving any loose ends open with communication that needs to take place if I'm the bottleneck, you know. And uh, this obviously triggers a large amount of complexity with that, putting yourself out and doing a show and putting a web page up. It's becoming more common. Uh, everybody's got a YouTube channel these days, right? But with the, some of the stuff that I'm talking about, I am, you know, putting myself out in a way where I know there's going to be some flack and some attacks and uh, people that are disgruntled or so-called quote-unquote friends that are no longer my friend anymore. Um, but really, like, you know, it's not that I'm okay with that. It's just that's how this works when you're attempting to do stuff like this. So I'm okay with it in that sense that I'm at peace with it. It's not that I accept every moral thing that's happening in life with other people. And as you can see, we can get off and I can get off in tangents that maybe I'm not prepared to get off into. And <laughs> that's why we need the call-in show, right? That's why we got to have other people come in and do that to create a more dynamic thing. Um, so we can have discussions and things uh, after the slide show presentations. And I'm really looking forward to the point in the growth of this show when that becomes an opportunity to take. But otherwise, I'm more than prepared to continue to fill the dead air with the things that I prepare during... Uh, the week to do on Sunday live streams and uh, so far it's working out pretty good I think so uh, I would appreciate any feedback that you have otherwise tylerbloyer.com usually the latest post is on the front page graphically easy to click on uh, other than that everybody have a wonderful day have a wonderful life <laughs> I hope that um, there's a peace and tranquility in your life and uh, the ability to to live according to the things that you feel uh, should be done, you know, that there's that opportunity for you. I know that um, I have, you know, a certain amount of things available to me that not everybody in the world has available to them to be able to do something like this, which is why I'm not up here talking about sports. I'm not up here talking about the latest fashions and the latest celebrity gossip and the latest political nonsense. I'm actually attempting to do something uh, to help other people with my spare time and with the time that I have to put into activities like this um, because I know that it's a responsibility for me to do that. It's not just me trying, again, trying to get people to look at this and look at that and oh, maybe I'll get more likes if I say it this way. Like, no, I'm just, you know, this is the due diligence of what should be done once uh, life has been traveled a certain amount of time and you've come to understand a certain amount of things people throughout history have been writing it down, right? Writing books, putting down uh, the arguments, uh, dismantling the, the bad arguments. And uh, yeah, I could write a book and do that. I can also do it in long form uh, audio presentations like this, which is like the modern way of, of writing a book, right? Of putting your ideas out there, I think in a way that is almost slightly more vulnerable. I don't have the time to self-edit over a two-year period of writing a book. And I don't have time to... Uh, like like this part of the show has been kind of like off the cuff and a little bit loose and not so structured, right? And uh, that's okay. That's the whole point of kind of doing it live is is that my speech, my actions, my words should always be within the same uh, way that I think anyway. Like I should have all that stuff aligned anyway 
to where when I'm talking, it's just the message. Like I don't need to change my message, which I'm going to go live. Now I got to start saying things like this. Like again, like this information is maybe a little bit in depth or a little bit obscure or a little bit kind of broad or not everyday information that people go into, but this is the kind of stuff I look into all the time. This is the kind of research that I do. These are the topics that I'm interested in. So for me to come and do a YouTube show about, it's not like I'm putting on a mask to come on here and sit on here. Like this morning before my live show, I was having a conversation with, with people in my uh, course that I'm currently taking autonomy um, about all this kind of stuff, right? And then it just transitioned right into my show. Like here we are now still this morning talking about the same thing that I was talking about before today's live stream. And so again, I don't, my activism isn't just here Oh, on my Facebook pages and my YouTube and this, my website, there's my activism. Like, no, we're, I live daily all day. What I'm saying, I, yes, I have a job and I have things that I do that are considered, you know, by the movement type people is like that I'm a moral relativist. And if I'm not a hundred percent this way, then I'm not living what I'm saying. And, you know, we'll have to do an episode on, on all that uh, too, one day and how, you know, you can end up causing yourself a lot more harm and not being able to affect positive change for anybody by trying to like strictly live 100% of, you know, like I was saying earlier, like you can put your neck out there and get it chopped off pretty quickly in this world. And the crowds are the ones that are going to be doing that, which is why we're trying to expose them a little bit here today, <laughs> because we're worried, you know, about the crowd. And we, we know what, people can do in a religious fervor when they get together and they're all headed in one direction, right? And that's how we've sort of lost the individual freedoms and uh, lost a lot of the freedom that we once had even recently um, is because there's this cult of socialists and socialism and communism and uh, other things coming down the pipe pretty quickly here that have not just like popped up out of nowhere. Like this stuff was engineered to happen at this time, at this place in history in in America, specifically the downfall of, you know, what was uh, a particular way of organizing and structuring uh, government and economy and, and, and uh, citizenship and things like that and um, separation of church and state and this kind of massive experiment in that first slide, like I said, like we're always in that cycle though of the, of, you know, yeah, sure, the freedom that's given by you know, the great um, amount of effort that's put in, but then that always falls into sort of kind of like a laziness and apathy towards uh, the truth and towards society and the self even, which then collapses in on itself as, you know, a violent mob of tyrannical uh, herds that are controlled and ruled at the top, yes, but still not, no less violent and tyrannical than the fake tyrannical democracy system set up to corral the herds of people. And that's the last thing that I'll say is just kind of noticing that the word herd is pretty interesting that it's used in the way that it's used a lot of the time, like with vaccines and stuff like that, the vaccine debate, it's like the herd, you know, they're always talking about the herd immunity and we have to protect the herd. And I think, you know, in law too, there's some very interesting stuff with like man's law, how they've defined the herd. And really, like when it comes down to it, that's what this area of land is and has become is that there's a herd. They look at us that way legally. We're like livestock that need to be managed. Like what, what a farmer does with his livestock is like keep him up on the antibiotics, keep the livestock healthy so that they keep producing. 
that's basically what a citizen is. That's basically what you're not protected by the Constitution. You're not the we the people of the Constitution. And you have no legally protected rights that are coming from the Constitution at all. And so when people wonder, like, how are they able to do this? Or why would they do that? They can't do that. It, that would be illegal. Like, none of that stuff applies to you. You're a rat in a scientific experiment. That's what's happening, you know. And it's it's a lot of tacit agreement and other things that they do that are total BS, total nonsense, that, you know, we need to understand a lot more about. And we need to understand what tacit agreement is. And that that means that we need to start saying no you know, in certain cases, in, in not like going out and telling people no or something like that. The point is to attitudinally not allow someone else to be master over you and your decision making, even if that puts you at risk, even if that puts you in a precarious situation, even if that means that violence will be done unto you in some cases. Um, once we know who and what we really are, we are able to actually empower ourselves to say no, whether verbally saying no or just the way that we lives our, live our lives is not going to accept some of the things that are being proposed that we do, that we have the ability to create a space to make decisions and think about things before we act, even if there's a threat of violence, even if there is actual violence being done unto us. It's still no excuse and it's still always your responsibility to make the decision, whatever that comes down to being. So with the voluntarist, a lot of the time they'll say, well, I can't actually because I'll say, well, you don't live what you're saying. You're just saying you're a voluntarist. And they'll take that, like, that I'm, like, saying that I'm morally superior and that I live certain ways. I'm not. I'm, I'm using it as a way to say, well, you don't even live what you say. And so why do you call yourself those things? And they'll say, well, what do you want me to do? You want me to put myself at risk and put myself out there in a way that we're going to get arrested or get, get hurt or they're going to take my kids away and all this and that. And it's like, no, I'm not saying you should do those things. But then... You know, if you're not living what you're saying, then you're not really what you're saying that you are. So you might have an, uh, an uh, uh, ideal, you might have an ideal of where we should be at, right? Of like some sort of like voluntary society situation, right? But if you're not actually 100% being a voluntarist and you accept all these contracts from the government that are voluntary and then you accept them and claim that they're not or something and, and your citizenship is voluntary but you claim that it's not and that it's the barrel of a gun well even if your arguments are correct okay fine you're doing what you're doing because it's at the barrel of a gun well it's still your choice though it's still your consent like you're still consenting it's still voluntary ultimately it is all voluntary that's the whole point so it's a contradiction to say that you want to be voluntary with everything that you do, but then it already is. And the government defines voluntarism as a citizen, someone who contracts with them to be a citizen of the United States. And so that's a volunteer. And so volunteerism really is just citizenship and a voluntary servitude is what it is. And that's why volunteerism is retarded. And that's just how it is. Like, I don't care how nonviolent communication-y, Oh, you're not meeting my needs of me wanting to be a voluntarist. And the way you just said that really sounded like you were saying that. Yeah, I am saying it that way. It's just bullshit. And that's how it should be treated as bullshit. And you just cast aside bullshit once you found it. And I don't care about how that doesn't meet your needs of nonviolent communication about how your voluntarism isn't what I think it is. And we should, you need to understand what my needs are about this vote. No, I don't. Maybe if I'm trying to work with you, maybe if I'm trying to understand and communicate something with you, but if I'm just 
finding the philosophical viewpoint to be bullshit. I can call it out like that and call it retarded if it is dumbed down and slowed down and moved into a, a state of lesser, then it's retarded. And it's not offensive to say that. It just is that way. It's logically retarded. You know what I mean? <laughs> and we've uncovered that plenty on the show. And so that'll be the thing that you either choose to, you know, slowly let sink in and then challenge your worldview or that you ignore and continue on in your activism and your, you know, what oftentimes is like this, like PTSD type, like activism that's like done out of like, like a over anxiety type of getting out and like fixing the problems without actually having the way to do that figured out. And that happens from groups and falling into movement traps and the crowdocracy which is what we've been covering on the show and we'll continue to do so. Um, anyway, uh, today we're going to wrap it up there, though. We're going to be back uh, soon uh, doing a live show and we're going to get into social engineering and a couple other topics before we dive deep again into the actual movements themselves, the logical fallacies and problems within those movements and move towards a conclusion to wrap up falling into the movement traps. And then after that, I'll be getting into the creature of control uh, some history of indoctrination in America, uh, topics and things like that, and a whole list of other things that I want to go into that are outside of this series. Um, but first, we'll you know continue working through falling into the movement traps. And I appreciate everybody for sticking with me again today and uh, look forward to seeing you again soon. Uh, have a wonderful one. See ya.